Free Talk Live. Give us a call at 855-450-3733. That is the SACL toll-free call-in line here on the live Sunday edition of Free Talk Live. It's Mark with you. And Stephanie, we're back together again. That's right. I have missed you so. <laughs> oh, me too, Mark. 855-450-FREE. You can call in, talk about whatever you want to talk about. But we have on the line a special guest. It's uh, Mike Pfeiffer. He, he is CEO of uh, Strum Ruger. Is that right, Mike? Well known as Ruger Firearms. They're right. That's exactly right. Now, you guys are doing something kind of uh, unusual. Apparently, there's never been a gun manufacturer who has ever made a million and sold a million guns in a year. That's true. I was at the NRA show in Pittsburgh this past May and uh, was looking for an excuse to make a larger donation to the NRA than we normally do. And I decided I wanted to give a million dollars. And I tried to think, how could I get this by our board of directors? And we came up with the Ruger Million Gun Challenge to benefit the NRA, where we give a a dollar for every one of those million guns. Well, that'll go by the board of directors, won't it? They didn't have any trouble with it. (laughs) I bet they didn't. It made complete sense to them. Now, we've never even gotten all that close to it before. And uh, it was a dream of Bill Ruger Sr., who started the company and ran it uh, ably for so many years, and the most he ever got to was 844,000 guns. And so we figured, why not go for it? We had a line of uh, great new products coming out this year, and I knew that if we just asked all our customers out there to help us, that we could probably do it. So, uh, so how's it going? Well, we're at the halfway point now, and we're 566,000 guns in. Things are going well, then. We're on track, and uh, one of the things we're doing is rather than wait to get to the end, every quarter we give a check to the NRA, so I'm giving them another check uh, here in a, about a week for about another $280,000. I bet they're, they're happy to have uh, you visiting their, their conventions. They let me come visit, that's for sure. <laughs> Probably going to give you a special, uh, special seat. Well, I'll tell you what, I got a tour of the NRA Museum, and if uh, you ever want to see some fantastic history... All from the Revolutionary War all the way up to the present, that's a wonderful place to go. Where is it? It's down in Fairfax, Virginia. Hmm. Didn't even know they had one. Now, it's probably the finest firearms museum in the United States. What kind of feedback are you getting from the uh, the customer base on this? Because I know you guys have a, a, a you know a, a great new lineup out, and um, you know what are what are people saying? Well, mostly they want us to make more guns. We've got some. Uh, we've launched a bunch of new guns this year. Our LC9 compact 9 millimeter, which won Handgun of the Year. Our Scout rifle, based on Colonel Cooper's concept for a Scout rifle, the guy who ran the Gunsight Academy, and that won Rifle of the Year. And then our SR40 compact pistol, and then our SR1911. And uh, that one I've gotten a lot of grief over, and and. And completely justified. We didn't begin to estimate how many people would want. We didn't put enough production equipment in place, but we're scrambling to catch up, and we're uh, investing a lot more so we can double production. But that's a fantastic gun, and people really love it. Now, I'm familiar with the uh, the LC9, the the, the uh, gun sight scout rifle, the SR40C. But tell me about the 1911. I'm not familiar with that one. Well, this year's a hundredth anniversary, and people have been Telling Ruger that they want us to make a 1911 for a long time now. We, we've never quite got around to it because, among other things, it's a really hard gun to make well. 
And we didn't want to do it unless we did a really good job and had a really tight, really accurate um, firearm. And we wanted to go back to the um, Series 70 um, before they all the extra features and, and extra safeties were added to the gun. And, um, and we, we spent two years working on it to develop the processes and to make sure we had just the right uh, version of the gun, and uh, we launched it at, at the NRA show. Excellent. Now, um, I know Ruger's made, Ruger's made in a bunch of different places around the United States. Is that right? Well, we have two large factories, and uh, the most important thing is they are in the United States, and about 99% of our, of our content in the product is, is made in the U.S. The only exception is we do buy some pieces of wood occasionally from overseas, and we do buy some semi-automatic uh, handgun magazines from a company in Italy because, frankly, they make better magazines than we can. But the rest of it is all done in the U.S. We pour metal. We actually have a foundry in New Hampshire. Uh, we machine. We assemble in both uh, Newport, New Hampshire, in the uh, Lakes region, and then mm-hmm. in uh, Prescott, Arizona, up in the northern part of Arizona. And uh, So I'd like to know, I'm kind of curious a little bit about the manufacturing process. Could you give us a brief overview? Well, pretty much... Um, we make just about every single thing in that gun. We don't grow the trees, but uh, we shape the wood and, and that are used in our rifle stocks or handgun stocks. Uh, we, we melt and pour the metal. And is most of that automated, or are there people actually working on this? I'm just kind of curious about that. Actually, very little is automated. And um, with some of this, what they call modern uh, lean manufacturing techniques, uh, we're moving farther away from automation. Mm-hmm. And we've actually, uh, the world has sort of turned up upside down on its head. It's actually um, more productive to involve more people instead of less people, that these big robots moving things around just cost a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And the minute you have them in place, well, they're not doing exactly what you wanted to do. Whereas if you have well-trained and motivated uh, folks working in the factory, they can, they can switch on a dime and, uh, and you can be, you know, producing even better. Wow. So we have right now, we have... Uh, uh, over 1,400 American employees, and all of our employees are American. So, if people are interested in this uh, Million Gun Challenge and uh, you know supporting the NRA and, and Ruger in the process, uh, you know how do they find out more about it? Um, you know how do they get involved? Well, they can track the progress um, at our website uh, Ruger.com, and uh, the best way to get involved is go to your local uh, gun store and talk to the folks there and check out the whole line of uh, new Rugers and see if anything appeals to you. you know, we sure appreciate your help. One, one that really caught my eye, and I like the, the LC9 and the SR40C, and I frankly don't know which one I would uh, pick between them were I to, uh, to, to have to make that decision, but um, the Ruger Gunsight Scout Rifle, um, that's an amazing uh, bolt-action rifle. Can you tell us more about it? Well, it's a departure for Ruger because it's our first detachable box magazine rifle. It's very lightweight, just over six pounds. It's got uh, a short um, but fairly heavy barrel, so it's really accurate. It shoots a 308 round, and uh, it's got an adjustable pull length, um, more than two and a half inches of adjustment in the pull length. So it can fit just about anybody. It's got both the regular ring mounts, um, right over the receiver, plus a forward-mounted rail. So you can put, as Colonel Cooper was suggesting, a long eye-release scope so that if you have real quick target acquisition with both eyes open. 
It's just a terrific gun. I've taken it hunting, but Colonel Cooper's idea was that it's, it's the, if you could only have one gun, this one would do it all. You could take it hunting. You could uh, use it for self-defense whatever you needed. Yeah, I think this is one that's destined to be one of those American classics. Um, you know, the 50 years from now people will still be talking about this weapon. I mean, it's a uh, you know, it, it's an amazing amazing thing. So, um, the has uh, have you been in contact with the NRA? What are they saying about the million gun challenge? Oh, they're excited about it and uh, I think they're getting into the spirit of things because nobody's ever done this before, no company. And uh, we're really excited to be on track and uh, Got my fingers crossed we can pull this off and be the first company ever in history to do this. Now, I have a question. What's the, this is a little bit of a tough question, but, you know, why support the NRA specifically? What's the, what do you hope to accomplish by doing that? Well, I think they've done fantastic things for us. Um, You know, I remember not so long ago that I couldn't drive um, from our office in Connecticut up to our factory in New Hampshire um, with a gun. Yeah, I couldn't drive through the state of Massachusetts. Yeah. And the NRA has gotten all kinds of, I would say, low-profile but really important legislation passed, like they've gotten a law where I can now drive across, across Massachusetts with a gun without the Massachusetts guy stopping and harassing me. Mike Pfeiffer uh, from uh, Ruger, I appreciate you coming on and uh, telling us about the Million Gun Challenge, and uh, good luck with you. And please update us uh, you know, next quarter. Okay, Mark, Stephanie, thanks for having me. Thanks, Mike. Free Talk Live, 855-450 free. As a smoker, you know traditional cigarettes are unhealthy, and the taxes be the very beast stealing your freedom to smoke. That's why the Vapor Station offers an assortment of electronic cigarette kits. Each rechargeable, refillable kit is an effective, affordable alternative to smoking. No combustion, no tar, no foul, lingering odors, and no smoke, secondhand or otherwise. Just inhale pure enjoyment and exhale vapor. Take a puff just about anywhere without getting hassled. Get your e-cigarette kit now at VaporStation.com. Talk Live, 855-453. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line here on the live Sunday edition of Free Talk Live. I know you're not used to live programming on the weekend, but we here at Free Talk Live think it's important that you uh, get to have live programming. I know when I listen to uh, talk radio, whether it's on uh, satellite radio or um, on the radio, that I love having live programming at the you know recorded shows they just don't have that uh, same feel to them i don't know why it is oh, it's just more fun to hear it while it's happening and I then you can participate you can call in and you can but most people us. don't and i don't generally <laughs> so why but do i like hearing you could. <laughs> live programming i know i mean live programming is important and uh, the the proof is is that people listen to it um you know more i mean the numbers just just bear it out um so you know if you want to participate you can call in at 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. That number is sponsored by uh, SACL CAI here on Free Talk Live's Live Sunday edition. Also, yeah, you know, it's a participatory show. You can go and participate on the website, too, at freetalklive.com. We have a website there where you can post, excuse me, link to, uh, you know, whether it's news stories or blog posts or videos or whatever you want. People vote them up, vote them down. You can do the same to theirs. And uh, it's quite an interactive community. Lots of eyes seeing your story at freetalklive.com. 
com. It's Mark with you. And Stephanie. So, Stephanie, um, what, uh, what story do you have for us? Well, this is really, really unfortunate. And it relates to Free Talk Live, too, because Free Talk Live has talked in the past a number of times about Amazon.com. Yep. And, uh, you know, Free Talk Live has an affiliate program with Amazon. And, sure have for years. And I think it's been a, a very good relationship for sure for both of them. Absolutely. And, you know, I've used it myself in the past, um, and I've had no problem with we it. thank you. <laughs> but, you know, Amazon kind of came under fire a little while back because they had some anti-WikiLeaks stuff that they were doing. You know, they weren't giving the, the affiliate donations to them or something like that, or they were blocking some kind Somehow of... Somehow related to yeah. it in some way. Yeah. Or they, yeah, they came out with a statement that said, we will not support them or something like mm-hmm. that. And a lot of people were upset about that, but I think that probably very few of them stopped using Amazon because it's just so ubiquitous. Indeed. It's so big and it, they have so much stuff. I mean, and- I rely on it so heavily for just... I mean, it saves so much time to have stuff delivered to my door with free shipping than, you know, going out to a store and not knowing whether they're going to have the product I want. And Amazon has been standing up to certain states on this, uh, you know, sales tax thing. They've been they've gone after Amazon. And it's, uh, you know, it's warmed my heart a little bit up to this point. Yeah, I thought so, too, which is why I think it's so ironic and unfortunate that they came out with this press release a couple of days ago. The headline is, and this is directly from the horse's mouth from Amazon's own press releases, Amazon strongly supports enactment of NZ Durbin Alexander federal online sales tax bill. Yuck. Amazon.com today confirmed its strong support for the federal bill introduced this morning by United States Senators N.Z. Durbin and Alexander that would create a constitutional framework for collecting sales tax online. Amazon strongly supports the enactment of the N.Z. Durbin-Alexander bill and will work with Congress, retailers, and the states to get this bipartisan legislation passed, said Paul Meisner, Amazon Vice President, Global Public Policy. It's a win-win resolution, and as analysis have noted, uh, analysts, excuse me, Amazon offers customers the best prices with or without sales tax. So this is gross, and I think what it's all about is that if there is an online sales tax, it's going to crush online retailers. I mean, it really is. It's, and yeah, I know it's not going to be particularly helpful. I know that the physical uh, stores are always arguing for this, you know, that, well, we collect sales tax for all the states. Why shouldn't the online retailers have to? They have an unfair advantage and so forth, yada, yada. Uh, but this so it, it, Amazon is so big that they could easily just, you know, hire a couple of people to change their code, a couple of lawyers, and they could easily get through this. And, you know, they don't really care if uh, customers have to pay a little bit extra to the right. feds. What, what it sounds like they're saying is, is uh, as long as it's applied fairly, quote unquote, um, evenly um, to everybody, then how is it ever fair to they can non-consensually take money from someone? You know, I, I, I understand the point. <laughs> Never. I, you know, when it comes to taxes and fair uh, aren't words that go particularly well together. Right. But you can see the point that uh, perhaps they're saying, well, you know, as long as everybody has to pay this tax, then we're willing to do it. But we're not willing to do it if they just go after us. Because, as you can imagine, states probably have uh, targeted Amazon because they're a big fish. Well, they have. And and there was an example of that with California, I Mm -hmm. think a couple of months ago, wanted to specifically put taxes on places like Amazon. Like they were specifically targeting online retailers that were like over a certain size or something like that, or that were based outside of California and wanted them to collect California tax. But let me read you a little bit more about what this would actually do, this legislation. It says, if enacted the NZ Durbin Alexander bill, I love this tongue-twisting name jesus <laughs> well, it, it, it beats uh it be, beats the you know the the, the fair 
tax collection bill or so, you know, because they're always coming up with. The, Sometimes they come up with an acronym. Yeah. You know, it's like the the Fairness Act, and it'll be like you know farting air and you know it's just all this <laughs> the u.s <laughs> patriot stuff. act i believe is some uh, is an acronym oh, of yes. some sort also yep and who could argue against the something that was called the patriot act right, right. and that's yeah. that's what i was trying to make the point is uh the durbin or whatever this is act um is is better than something like patriot that's the <laughs> point i was trying to make yeah marginally uh, okay, so it says if enacted, the NZ Durbin Alexander bill will allow states to require out-of-state retailers to collect sales tax at the time of purchase and remit those taxes on behalf of customers, and it will facilitate collection on behalf of third-party sellers. Oh, so this is going to, you know, no matter where you buy, you pay what your own state sales tax. Is that the idea? Uh, it it, it, would make it sense. requires retailers that are based in another state to yeah. collect sales tax from the state of the person who buys the thing. Okay. And I, it applies, I guess, to things like eBay, I would assume, because it says it will facilitate collection on behalf of third-party sellers. So basically, they're going to strong-arm all these other <laughs> retailers into collecting sales taxes for all these states. How's eBay going to do collect sales tax? I mean, it doesn't even collect the money. That would be interesting, right? They'd have to figure out something. It, they have the to politicians don't care. Yeah. They don't care how difficult it is for you to comply with their silly law, just that you comply with their silly law. I yeah. mean, eBay isn't well, they, even a retailer. And they're saying that the government will facilitate collection of, of the taxes. And, you know, I'm sure that means they'll require you to collect you as the retailer. They'll require the retailer to collect them and then, you know... Uh, not give them any help. <laughs> They're not going to write Wait, the code facilitate? or anything. I mean, what does the government do to facilitate anything? They'll, yeah. They might, uh, you know, send some bureaucrat to tell you what the law means, and that would be the the end of uh, the end of it. Well, in legal land, words like facilitate really mean threaten and stuff yeah, like that. That's so what that means. Yep. Well, um, let's go on with this a, a little bit here. But I, first, I want to take a call from uh, Greg in Cleveland. Greg. Hey guys. What's uh, on your I mind? Stephanie, um, if, yes. I, if I understand, um, you're getting your MD and your PhD right now? Uh, yes, that's true. Okay. If I make it through um, school. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I'm actually working on my uh, uh, PhD in medical research. I do blood. Oh, cool. Blood stuff. And um, at, I'm at a difficult situation because I'm uh, getting funded by the government, the NIH, on a T32 training grant. Uh-huh. And... Uh, you know, looking for the next step, you know, really, as a scientist, I'm getting trained to be a, a government-funded scientist who spends all his time writing yes. R01 grants. Right, exactly. And in case um, our so, listeners are not familiar, I want to bring people up to speed. Most of the science in the U.S. is funded by the federal government, uh, the National Institutes of yep, Health, yep, and people sure. write grants to get money. Sure. Greg, if you'd hold the line here, we'll get back with uh, your question. If, if there is a question, mm-hmm. 603, excuse me, 855-450-3733. That's 855-450-3733 here on Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line here on the live Sunday edition of Free Talk Live. It's Mark with you. And Stephanie. That's 855-450-FREE. If you're looking for camping, hunting, or shooting gear, manventureoutpost.com carries knives, ammunition, scopes, binoculars, laser sights, tactical flashlights, fish finders, and boating equipment. And... 
They've got the best prices, really. Go check them out before you buy anything online. That's to do with uh, camping, hunting, or shooting. It's manventureoutpost.com. They're family-owned and members in good standing of the Better Business Bureau. Some prices are so low they can't be mentioned on the air. And, you know, after going there and doing some buying and some looking around, I have to agree with that. You can get an additional 5% off with coupon code FTL. Get it quick. Get it from manventureoutpost.com. So we were uh, just talking to Greg in Cleveland about um, you know some of his dilemmas regarding um, well being a scientist in America. Greg, yeah, yeah. So um, I am right now getting uh, funded for my uh, tuition and my uh, they call it a stipend, my living expenses. Um, and Greg, just, sorry, just to jump in, did you say that you're you're are you uh, graduated yet? Or are you still working on your PhD? I'm finishing up, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we, we have to write two first author papers, and I'm yep. working on the second one. So, cool. yeah, so that's a requirement for my students. So I'm finishing up now and looking for the next step. And, um, you know, there are a lot of opportunities um, to go to these academic labs that are funded uh, under government, uh, government grants. Yes. Um, I'd like to avoid that <laughs> for, yes. for several reasons. Um, but it's difficult, you know. I mean, it's mm-hmm. hard to find something in, in industry, particularly something that's more hardcore science as opposed to sort of starting at the bottom of, of the ladder. And I'm curious about what your thoughts are on um, doing science under, under such a grant. Not necessarily you're the head of the lab and you're actually writing these grants, but if you're, mm-hmm. you know, a, a postdoc doing two or three years' worth of work, first, uh, first also secondly, um, you know, if you do have a, an as negative view of this as I do, would it be sort of, in a way, wiped clean if I went to Dartmouth uh, for the for the uh, Free State Project? Um, <laughs> I, I honestly, I'd sort of be get over it. Well, Greg, first of all, I just want to thank you so much for calling in. This is so this is such a great question, and I can so relate to you. And I hope we can get in touch actually, because it would be great to sort of network and talk some more with you. Um, my email address is stephanie at freetalklive.com. It's just right up on the website. But, um, uh, you know, first of all, you said something about uh, in, in looking in, in industry for a postdoc. And uh, for those who don't know, usually scientists will get a Ph.D. and then they'll do a postdoctoral fellowship, which is called a postdoc. And so they're working on their own independent project. And usually those are done in academia if people want to go on to have their own lab. But some people do them in industry uh, like pharmaceutical companies, the downside of that is that sometimes you don't get to publish your work if it's like a trade secret, basically. Mm. And so you don't get as much uh, exposure to show for it. You know, you can't really publish a story and let the world know. But, you know, Greg, uh, I've done some looking into this myself because, as you can imagine, I face really similar dilemmas. Yeah, the government really wins on this particular issue. You have scientists who are funded by the government and then mad scientists are the ones that aren't. I mean, that's essentially how the, the public zeitgeist goes. Well, that that's what I was going to say, sort of. I mean, even the pharmaceutical companies, especially startup companies, get grants from the government. They get NIH money, too. It's almost inescapable. And, you know, there are private foundations. NIH, National Institute of Health? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's almost inescapable. There are some private foundations, especially um, 
you know, like there's diabetes research, cancer research, and they have fellowships that you can get. Um, so that might be an option, Greg, if you really don't want to be funded by the government, you could try to apply for your own fellowship from a private foundation and Who's try to that, get funded that way. That longevity doctor with the beard that uh, he's, he makes the rounds. Aubrey de Grey. Aubrey de Grey. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just just saying like there's you know one guy out there that might be doing making it happen he's he's kind of self-taught i think uh mm-hmm. i got the impression i don't even know if he has a phd actually i think he's mostly self-taught but anyway um greg you know if you want some philosophical perspectives on this um there's i know ayn rand said some stuff about this but also murray rothbard had something to say and what basically what he said about getting paid by the government is that if there's a use for this job in actual society and it, like Murray Rothbard would say it's yes, it's immoral for the Nazi to work in the death camp killing Jews, but it's not necessarily immoral for a scientist to be paid by the government because science serves a purpose in society that's not just fabricated by the government. Now, I I can respect that and I used to believe it. However, I think that government funding of science so distorts and hurts science and the spirit of it. That I I don't, uh, you know, I, I have very serious doubts about whether it's kind of the path for me. And so I think, you know, I've been looking into alternatives myself, ways that I could use my skills and encompass my love of science, because I do really love science, you know, and I love medicine. Uh, but the system is really tough to work in. And it's so government right. entrenched. And, you know, I should have known that going in, but sometimes it's hard to understand how fully the government's tentacles reach into all those fields unless your, you work in them for a while. Your point of view changes to some extent over time, too. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not the, I don't have the same beliefs I did mm-hmm. a decade ago. I mean, how long ago was it that you got into, uh, uh, Greg, that you got into medical school? I mean, it's been eight years, right? Well, well he's well, a scientist. I'm my, yeah, I'm getting my PhD. Okay. So it's been about four and a half years mm-hmm. from when I first first got in. Um, I definitely would not do this going back. I didn't have a miserable experience, great experience, um, which is actually oh, that's great. Fair, to be honest, as, as you know, Stephanie. But um, mm. I wouldn't do it. I mean, I just know that the way that the, you know, quote unquote, the system is set up, the, the set of incentives are just are just they, they depress me. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, they, I call they it, do. I, yeah, I call it one big rent-seeking talent toilet. I mean, really, <laughs> I mean, there are. Yes, people who all they do is they they sit in an office and write these grants that don't get funded. Absolutely. And it's very political the way that they're decided on who's funded. And it actually incentivizes people not like a lot of people go into science and medicine and their their objective. And I was one of these is to help people is to create new cures, you know, to do something that that's meaningful and important and helps people. But as time goes on, the system guides them in, a, in such a way where the goal becomes getting more grants and, and that you can lose sight of the fact that you're actually there to help people very easily. And so that's why I say that I think a lot of things about the system hurt science. And, you know, Greg, this is such a tough uh, thing to deal with. And I just want to say, you know, if you're thinking about doing an academic postdoc or a postdoc in general, um, usually those those fellowships are meant to kind of track people into careers where they're eventually going to have their own lab. And so if that's not something that you want to do, if you don't want to be a government funded researcher, if you want to do something else, I would say maybe don't do a postdoc, you know, maybe just use your PhD and do something else. Well, you know, the problem is I do need a job. Yes, of course. There's a certain amount of factors that, that what I can and cannot do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you need to have that backup plan. And when it comes to doing, um, 
a postdoc, you know, you have to look at these things very early. So it's 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 a weird type of thing, and it, for someone like me who doesn't keep his mouth shut, you know, in academia, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get mad at people for forwarding <laughs> stupid videos about, you know, we need we can't cut funding and science and all this stuff. It's just, oh yeah, it's this culture that drives me up the wall, and and I know I can that so I would, relate to you, I Greg. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can completely relate to that. And and it's hard, you know. I mean, I don't hide the fact that I'm a libertarian, but I don't really proselytize at work either at the same time. Yeah, what would be the point? You know, um, so I, I don't know. Quick, it's, yes, go Postdoc ahead. is some kind of paper you guys write? Is that? No, a postdoc is short for a postdoctoral fellowship. So okay. that means you get a Ph.D., and, you know, you have the Ph.D. degree and it's like a training project before you get a faculty position. It's all a degree a really is, is, is a license to learn what it is that you're going to do at that point. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I mean, it's basically a postdoc is a lower paid uh, scientist who works really hard and, and gets experience, yeah. you know, and it's a stepping stone to other positions. But, Greg, please, uh, please get in touch with me or, or hang on the line if you have more. Yeah, do you have more, Greg? Um. Yeah, actually. Okay. Yeah, please. Hold the line. Interesting topic. Yes. And I'm kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still figuring it all out with what <laughs> even the question is here. Free Talk Live, 855-450-3733. The Ruger LC9. Compact, powerful, and perfect for personal protection. The LC9 is only slightly larger than the popular Ruger LCP. Features a checkered grip frame to provide a secure and comfortable grip and includes a finger grip extension floor plate. The LC9 also has a dovetailed high visibility three dot sight system, blued alloy steel barrel, manual safety, and loaded chamber indicator. The LC9, another innovative American made product from Ruger. Learn more about the Ruger LC9 at Ruger.com LC9. Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line here on the live Sunday edition of Free Talk Live with Mark. And Stephanie. You can give us a call at 855-450-3733. We have been talking to Greg about his distaste of the marriage between government and uh, science and what he yeah. intends to do about it with his Ph.D. degree. Greg? Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, you know, forgive me if I get too technical here, but, um, you know, we're, I, we're past that. I, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, so what I see what's going on uh, is actually very similar uh, with science funding in the United States. It's very similar to what happened with the housing boom. Interest rates were too low. There was malinvestment, et cetera. Mm. Um, the same thing happens in science, because if you don't have a market for the production of knowledge, which would be whether it be, quote-unquote, applied science, testing a product, a drug, or something, or the earlier stages of, of the production of knowledge, which would be, quote-unquote, basic research, which mm-hmm. I don't think are separate at all. Mm-hmm. So what happens when you have this, I would call it malinvestment, where all of your resources and science are being moved to those lower stages of production, you have this, 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 uh, this malinvestment that doesn't correlate with what should be happening in the future. You know, When you think about interest rates, uh, when you artificially take interest rates too low, it doesn't correspond with savings, and you have yep. this bust in the 
This is this much is true, Greg. Now I'd I'd like to present a counter argument, and using your okay. example here of the housing industry, um, right. and we know that the housing industry basically kickstarted this uh, depression that we're in, and um, you know it was the government that was thoroughly involved in that. But one thing I'd like to point out is that everybody who had a house during the housing bubble lived in it and had the roof not and had the rain not fall on their head, and so I mean there's a morality to building a house. Even though the government's going to be involved, and that in- involvement is going to result in malinvestment and and you know all the things that it gets involved in the person you wouldn't say a carpenter that worked on a house that somebody got to live in, even though that house was uh, overvalued by the marketplace, was immoral. Do you, would you? Uh, the the you mean the, the carpenter. artificially high high prices? The carpenter. The carpenter. No, no. Right. I, I guess I'm. This is this is a. This may be a stretch of a metaphor. Um, no, bro, but, but, but I, I don't think it, I don't I don't think think it, it is. is. <laughs> but I don't okay. think, Mark, I don't think it's an accurate comparison, though, because basically are you, you're saying that uh, government funding researchers is like, the bank is like what the banks giving loans and you know, maybe the, the scientists analogy, are maybe like the is falling apart here. But here's, <laughs> there, there is points like scientists do a great deal of good in the world, maybe more good than carpenters. I don't know. Um, you know, well, a scientist well, for individual for individual. I'll, I'll finish this. So the thing is with the housing with the housing bubble, you actually have this change in prices going up, and, and people can read the market, etc. In science, you can't do that. There is no boom and bust. There is only Funding, period. Yeah. And to me, I think funding science is probably the worst way to spend government money because you will never have any sort of readout that corresponds with, hey, did we make that right investment? Because you can always have the public goods <laughs> argument and say, well, it's out there and all of humanity can, can look at our data and we're doing good. And you never have this corresponding, uh, this, uh, corresponding um, you know, analogous to interest rates, you know, you're not mm-hmm. corresponding with what you think will happen in the future, so it's it's such it's so removed from the market process that um, yes. yeah, I think it's, it's an awful way to spend money. Well, I think yes. when, when you, you use know, the superlative, I think you've uh, you've you've lost your argument when you use the superlative. I think that one can make um, you know the same argument for you know the arts <laughs> and uh, you know NPR right. and frankly right. war. Right. Well, but um, if it's if it's not a good idea to fund the arts by government, I mean science oh, I'm not is saying an art. That is a, you know, I'm not saying that it's a good idea to fund science with the government. I'm right. not saying that. But what what I'm but, hearing well, so here it's from a bad you, way. so it's a and, bad way to. Agreed. Bad. It is a bad way. It is, okay. it, is, it is a less than efficient way to yeah. do it and has all kinds of results which do not – not um, the, the scientist himself but the, the government and its uh, intrusions cause all kinds of problems. And, I, would, but, I would agree. But – if every scientist says, you know, acts in this moral way and then steps away, then what happens to innovation in that area? Is it stifled? I mean, what, you know, how? Well, how... first of all, there are very few scientists who are stepping away from science because of a, a, a moral or philosophical objection. I, I think there are lots of people who sure. have no problem taking government grants so and will never reality, that, think a, about it. Not a However, it doesn't mean that we as people who maybe do see a problem with that should continue to work in science when we think that it might be a flawed system. And, you know, Greg, All systems are flawed. There, but, but there are alternative ways that Free you can live. use your creativity. Mark, let me, let me finish. Okay. There are alternative ways that you can use your creativity and your knowledge, knowledge of science and your knowledge of physiology and all that to help people uh, without being uh, an NIH-funded government science researcher. Do you agree with that, Greg? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess where I'm coming from is, you know, 
Merck worked, the, you know, the drug company Merck mm-hmm. had a big project trying to uh, make a drug uh, to inhibit the protein I'm working with. Mm-hmm. They dropped that project yep. uh, for good reasons. And a lot of that was some of my work because I oh, wow. showed that it's not a good drug target. And I don't know if they actually read you know, my pay. I don't, I don't know. I haven't been in contact with them. I bet they did. They keep a close eye on those things. Well, the thing is, these are people who are going after a profit motive and Mm -hmm. they saw this way before it was published and they knew that I was going to conferences and they catch wind of of what's going on. And so they dropped it. Mm -hmm. Whereas I'm still doing this grant and we, we have funding for another four years. So, you know, you don't have that sort of profit and loss, you know, adjustment of trying to invest for the future, it's purely just money being thrown at scientists, and it doesn't matter if, you, yes. you know, I don't think my field is, is really worth anything right now, because it's <laughs> not a good target, you know, so why give me money? So you don't think, you yeah. don't think that your field is um, creating, uh, you know, innovations for people saving lives right now? No, I okay. think, I, I think that, that the protein that I'm working with is, is very, it's not a good drug target for, for a lot of good reasons, mm-hmm. and I think you know, in a hypothetical free society, okay. I don't think people would, would be invested so heavily in, in this particular protein. I could be doing other things. You know? Well, okay. right. And when so, you have uh, a government uh, grant that goes for four years and you have to use it up and then it's like your lab is famous for working on this one particular protein, you're going to work right. on that protein, whether it's a good drug target or not, whether it could help people or not. And Greg, I also did want to mention another point. You know, there are, there are problems with the incentives for pharmaceutical companies as well because they have to pay these billions of dollars in FDA filing fees. And so, you know, when they bring a drug to market, they want a blockbuster drug. They want a drug that people will take for the rest of their life that they'll have to take every day and that won't cure their disease, but will keep, you know, manage it as a chronic thing. And so it, it, it creates the incentive to basically get these blockbuster drugs that, that hook people, you know, like, like uh, cholesterol medications and blood pressure stuff and statin drugs. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a sign, there was a visiting, visiting scientist who, who uh, wanted to use a, a sugar that actually exists in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause proteins are coated with all these different types of sugars yes. and he, he honest, I don't know how he got the funding for this or how the government approved this, but he, he gave this sugar to, uh, kids with some rare, um, inflammation disease. And it was remarkable. They got, they, they got better. I mean, they were wow. cured and he went oh. to venture capitalists and they said, you know, this is great, but this is not a patentable drug. <sighs> and the only reason that they didn't go after this cheap drug is that, you know, there is no opportunity to have that blockbuster drug because you know, how are you going to patent something that's already in your body? So, I mean, yeah, the patent wow. system has, has can, its own problems. Can't well, he make money bringing something terrifying. to market um, in the in the area of the nutraceuticals or something? I mean, none of those. Vitamin C isn't patented, but but companies make money selling it. Yeah, I, and I, yeah, I, I couldn't comment anymore okay. on that. But, I mean, you know, well, I suppose he, he, could... was, he was saying, well, these people, all they do is see dollar signs. They're so greedy. And I'm thinking, no, this is this is patent law. Yeah. That's the problem here. Yes. Thank you for pointing that out, Greg. It's really important to draw that distinction because without the intellectual property monopoly system the way it is, they wouldn't be able to do stuff like that. Okay. So um, like, I, I want to sum this up the way I see it, Greg. Um, if you're doing something that you don't feel is right or efficient um, in, you know, like I get you not being involved in it. However, um, if you're providing a service to the public at large, I don't think you should be too down on yourself because there's government money involved. So um, like, for instance, free 
Talk Live is broadcast on radio stations and applies, uh, you know, complies with all the FCC rules. We don't do that because well, we don't believe that the F bomb is a terrible, you know, terrible, terrible thing. We do it because that's the best way to reach our customers. Right. But Mark, you're not getting a grant from the government to do Free Talk Live. We ha- do have licensure, though, essentially through these radio stations. There are only so many radio stations and thus only so many talk radio stations. It's it's a difference of degree. You're paying your own salary and that really affects your work. Sure, you know? it does. I, uh, I'm just saying that everything out there, Greg, is mired in government bureaucracy. You can't to do... To one degree or another. Right. And this one... is something I've thought about a lot. It's either that or get out and sell crack, right? No, <laughs> it's not. And, you know, Greg... There's no I, licenses on crack. Greg, I would love to see you in New Hampshire, however you get here, whether it's a postdoc or whether it's uh, some other avenue that you choose to pursue, you know, please get in touch with me. It was a really interesting call. Thanks for the call, Greg. 855-450-3733. If you've got a comment on this or anything else that's going on, 855-450-FREE. When the power goes out for any length of time, you've got problems, starting with food that's going bad, even in the freezer. No communications, living by candlelight or flashlight. It's a bad place to be. The solar flare cycle is heating up and has already done damage to the grid. NASA and NOAA tell us that next year and in 2013, it will take down large sections of the grid for days or weeks at a time. Hurricanes and floods also cut power for several days or weeks. You can protect yourself now. The SG-1 solar generator by Sound Wisdom produces 5,000 watts of household current, comes with 230 amp hours of battery, 220 watt solar panels, and a built-in battery maintainer desulfator. This is the only portable system you can add as many batteries or solar panels as you like. It will also convert power from windmills, water wheels, DC welders, or gas generators. Any source of 12-volt DC power. See it now at freetalklivesolar.com. Technicians are standing by now to answer your questions even during the Sunday night show. freetalklivesolar.com. Live 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line. 855-450-3733. Call in with, well, whatever you want. It's Free Talk Live. That's what we do around here. Check out freetalklive.com where we, uh, we, we do it there, too. You... The, the website well, we do it there <laughs> the website is set up in such a fashion that you can link to uh, news stories or blog posts or videos and people vote them up vote them down uh, there's all kinds of listening options there at listen.freetalklive.com whether it's the uh, live streams on the internet uh, the 110 radio stations or so that uh, carry free talk live uh, several satellite options uh, webcam listen lines all of it at listen.freetalklive.com so let's go straight into those calls uh, with uh, Aaron, listening on XM. Aaron? Hey there, Big Daddy and Stephanie. It's a pleasure to speak to the two of you. What's going on? What's <laughs> on your mind, Aaron? Um, not much. Uh, before I got to my point, I just wanted to mention that I found Free Talk about a month and a half ago, and I am so glad I did. Since I found it, I've signed up for the Free State program. Awesome. Today I signed up to be a silver amplifier, and when I get paid next week, I will be buying my ticket and setting up my hotel and stuff for the Liberty Forum in February. That's so, great. I'd love to see you there. And, yeah, uh, it'll and be great to meet say you. Say hi. Um, one of my concerns has been uh, intellectual property rights. Um, you mentioned patents briefly, and there's a lot of problems with the current patent, patent system. Sure um, are. But 
I worry about doing away with it, um, removing a lot of incentive for um, research, especially if it's very intensive research, like, you know, <laughs> things like electron microscopes and centrifuges and spectrographs are not cheap. Yep, sure. Um, they take a lot of investment. And if you can't, you know, patent your, your, your product that you, you know, develop, to protect your investment, then how uh, will you make you money? Well, I, I would like to address that question. First of all, um, a cu- you may want to check back in our archives because a couple of months ago, Mark, we had Stefan Kinsella on the show. That's right. And he's very famous. He's and a, that's on a Sunday. And yes, uh, he, he was one of our first interview guests, actually. And he's very famous because he is an actual IP attorney, but he has written a number of things against intellectual property and believes that there should be no patents, copyrights, etc. And uh, his book, Against Intellectual Property, is a really good place to start if you want to learn more about this. Yeah, let me spell his last name for you for anybody who might uh, go back and listen to this. And um, it's, it's K-I-N-S-E-L-L-A. And he is yeah. you know, probably the hands-down uh, expert. expert in yep. this arena. And so what you're getting is the second best here, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I would, you know, this is this is one of the, uh, the 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 bigger rivets on the statist machine. What do we do if we don't have intellectual property, especially especially intellectual property in the areas of? Well, let, let me flip this around for one moment. Do you think, uh, Aaron, is that your name? Yep. Uh, do you think yep. that do you think that a company who invents something or a person who invents something is entitled to have a monopoly on selling that product? I'm I'm not sure on this at this point. Okay, that's an honest answer. If you'd asked me a year ago, I definitely would have said yes, at least for a limited time. Do you think that monopolies are are good for time, the customer? For a limited time, I would have said yes. Uh huh. Okay. So, do you, I mean, let me follow up with that. Do you think that monopolies help the customer or the end user? Um, rarely. <laughs> yeah. Other than never. Okay. Well, one could make the argument in this case that uh, that a product may never be created without intellectual property law, so therefore it helps the customer. I mean, there there is an argument to be had there. Um, but I think that's pretty um, easily debunked. Like a lot of people, I know, Mark, this was a sticking point for you when you first learned about intele- the libertarian perspectives on intellectual property, and that was movies. Like, how would these movies ever be made? Without, how would a blockbuster movie be made <laughs> without IP? But, I'm willing to let blockbuster movies go in order to have a free world. I mean, you know, that's what it comes down to. I think. Well, that, right. I mean, who says anybody should be entitled to have a movie that makes billions of dollars anyway? But, you know, it's quickly becoming the case that technology is setting us free and is enabling people to make movies on extremely low budgets and even animate them themselves or, you know, do them at at very cheap in in their own uh, home. Also, I'd like to point out that if you were to um, take a movie and then put and then uh, put it put a wrapper on it that indicated that you made that movie and try to sell that movie, you'd be committing fraud against the person to whom you are selling it. And that is if you represented it as someone else's work. Right. As as your own. However, you put a banner across the top that says uh, third party knockoff of Star Wars. Then you're not misleading anybody. Um, so I mean, this is uh, you know I just want to make it clear. There's different things like patents, copyrights, and and um, right. uh, trademarks. And, and trademarks, I think, are the, probably the most legitimate sort of uh, of uh, you know copy uh, intellectual property law. 
Well, and you know, Aaron, um, there are many different reasons why people choose to invent and develop products. One of them, yes, is, is because of the profit motive and d- the desire to make money from them. And I think that's still possible to do, even if there is no intellectual property pr- uh, protection, so-called. But another one is for the fame. You know, a lot of people invent things because they want to be the first one who brought this technology to bear, and then maybe others can improve it or whatever. But they, they were the originator, right? And they can capitalize on that uh, in order to make money and to teach other people about how to you know make this microscope that only they know how to make because they're the first one to do it and you know also just because someone else knows how your product is made like let's say someone invents a microscope we'll make this more concrete let's say someone invents an electron microscope or some a new microscopy technology or technique well just because they open source it and they put the instructions on how to make it out on the internet or, or so forth, you know, they can still sell the, it doesn't mean that someone else would want to actually go ahead and make their own microscope, right? They're, they're still selling a service. They could make that microscope for you because, you know, they know how to do it. They have experience and they could make a really good microscope. It's just like because there, there are song lyrics on the, uh, on the internet to, uh, what's what's a famous song sung but what's your favorite song mark well happy birthday is uh is, is copyrighted well, yeah i was thinking about a song let, what's a song that everybody knows uh billy joel or something like that okay just uh, because we his didn't song start the fire <laughs> well yeah just because his song lyrics are on the internet to we didn't start the fire doesn't mean if if i sing the song it's going to be as good as billy joel you just have to go to right? karaoke night to find that out right exactly and so you know there there's something to be said for the original uh, inventor or maker of a product, being able to sell it and have a, a certain ability to do it better than everyone else, even if their formula is known. And Aaron, rather than taking our word for that, um, this, lots of people have done research on this, and in ways that I can't, you know, even begin to, uh, you know, just do on the fly on radio. But they, the, you know, the, the apparently among you know those that believe in liberty, the research shows that in fact it's people first to market in a um, free world that that make more innovation and that intellectual property laws tend to stifle innovation yes. and just make it so that you know for instance the uh, the patenter of a statin drug just changes the chemical formula just a little bit the next time in order to so keep they can the, get another patent on right. it exactly and so well, what and, you uh, have in and then is manufacturers manufacturing to patents not to manufacturing to to customers so and, and let's not forget the huge amount of cost that patent law um, and hiring all these patent attorneys and filing patents, uh, filing fees, add to the cost of production, research, and development. I mean, I know people who have done biotech startup companies and have paid lawyers most of their venture capital uh, for the initial funding rounds because that's what they have to do, in or, quote unquote, in order to compete in this world where there are IP monopolies all over the place. Imagine if people didn't have to deal with paying all those lawyers, then they could produce products a lot more cheaply and it would lower some barriers to entry. Any yeah, questions, Aaron? Um, <laughs> well, like, like I said, I agree that our, definitely that the current patent system is, is broken. It's just my, my concern is you should at least get something if you spend a lot of time developing a product. And that's just my concern. My only concern, and I'll go look up. Well, the, if you uh, spend, Aaron, Aaron, let me break in for a minute. Uh, if you spend a lot of time digging a hole in your backyard and filling it in, does that mean you should be entitled to get some money for that? It's a labor theory of value. <laughs> um, well, you know, well, I, 
I, I get where somebody could create something and then it could be stolen um, from them and, and that kind of thing. I mean, I, I understand that. And remember, secrets are only secret if you keep them secret. Yep. But, you know, th- they weren't able to patent the combustion engine. And just imagine if Ford or whatever company was able to uh, patent the combustion engine and be able to keep it for a period of time. Why is 17 years a moral amount of time and not 5 or 50? Yeah, and these are arbitrary. questions that uh, right that the, the the patent law really has to you know has failed to address and it, what it's turned out is just a way to stifle innovation. Aaron, I do thank you for the call and uh, you know give us a call back. Talk Live, 855-453, SACL toll-free call-in line. On the live Sunday edition of Free Talk Live, that's 855-450-3733. Excuse me. It's Mark with you. And Stephanie. <laughs> you can give us a call. <laughs> talk about whatever you want to talk about. That's what we do here on Free Talk Live. Uh, now, Stephanie, you've got a, a story that you've been holding here, and we've had so many calls. We haven't even got a chance to uh, go through it, uh, really get through it. We had started it out, but uh, yes. did you pick it up where we were? Yes. So just to briefly recap for our listeners, Amazon.com, the giant online retailer, has released uh, a statement saying that they fully, uh, strongly support, that's their wording, the enactment of a federal online sales tax bill. Um, and so... We were reading this a little bit earlier, but uh, just to recap, if enacted, the NZ Durbin Alexander bill, which is the name of it, will allow states to require state retailers to collect sales tax at the time of purchase. Oh, excuse me. Will allow states to require out-of-state retailers. (laughs) I said state retailers. Out-of-state retailers to collect sales tax at the time of purchase and remit those taxes on behalf of customers. And it will facilitate collection of on on behalf of uh, third-party sellers. Thus, this bill will allow states to obtain additional revenue without new taxes or federal spending, and it will make it easy for customer uh, consumers and small retailers to comply with state sales tax laws. So it'll be making it easier for the consumers, That's Mark. Right, because it's always so easy for um, you know businesses and consumers to uh, to you know to, to to take care of all these little oh, government issues. It's absolutely disgusting, and you know. All that all that this will do is really um, force these companies, these online retailers, to become unpaid uh, servants of the state. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's what taxes are. I mean, taxes are a um, you know the, you're required to give the fruits a portion of the fruits of your labor to another individual who didn't work for them, and yep. uh, or group that didn't that didn't work for them, or um, else, or else. And there's always that or else backing it up. There's always that threat of force implicit in uh, every tax. And, and you know, most people never encounter that force. You know, they never go up against the. Uh, the tax system they never refuse or say no but this it, is just a holdover from the times of uh, you know agrarian slavery you know there was a, there was a time when you know man figured out how to grow high calorie things like grains in one place rather than walking around and picking them i mean before that a slave wasn't terribly useful unless they were your wife i suppose um it, oh boy well i mean you know i'm not trying to advocate for this i'm just saying that yes, you know that uh, you know the relationships between uh, humans Prior to you know morality getting uh, you know very thoroughly in there, you know might yeah. have been something different. Yeah. So you know when sla- when you could grow a bunch of calories in one place, then slaves became much more useful. 
And no, and people didn't really ask these questions. I mean, when you're talking about folks like Aristotle and Plato, these people advocated for slavery. You're talking about the Bible. It advocated, oh, you know, talked about yeah. how to properly take care of your slaves. Um, well, you know, and we all know that slaves are much more productive when they think that they're free. And I think yes. that's the operative principle in place today with the uh, with all countries around the world, essentially. Even when you had kings and knights and vassals and these kinds of things, uh, serfs were what they call tied to the land. Essentially, the land belonged to the king. Mm -hmm. And if you wanted to live on that land in any way, shape, or form, like your parents had and your parents before them and all that, then you had to give a portion of your the fruits of your labor to the king because he owned the land. In in fact, nothing's really changed except the king is now all of us. We we all get a vote. Supposedly, that vote gets counted. Oh, I don't think it's all all of us. I think it's the politicians who deign to be in charge. Of I don't us. even know if it's the politicians. I think that it's more likely the uh, ensconced government bureaucrats that yeah. uh, that in fact are there. Whether you know the Democrats or the Republicans are in charge, they just keep on going and going. So you know, I don't know, but. This is just – it's just a new sort of free-range slavery system. There's yeah. nothing moral about taxes at all. There's nothing moral about paying your taxes. If you think paying taxes is moral, if you think that a person who's on, in a given geographic area – owes money to a government for whatever reason, please call in. I want to hear the reasoning because I've, I've had, you know, I've thought these things in the past, but I, I You've think, thought that there was an obligation to pay taxes just because you were, happened to be born on a certain plot of land? You know, I thought the taxes were, uh, that America's great and taxes to America must be good. You know, I've had yeah. that kind of thought. Well, that's what people are taught all their lives growing up sure. and people tend to believe what they're taught, right? If they never in, think about it, indeed. especially. Uh, so, you know, Amazon coming out advocating for an online sales tax disturbs me. I mean, I don't I don't really me like too. that idea. Especially because I thought of Amazon in a positive light until I heard this. They're never going to be a prince. There's never going to be a principled company that gets too large. I mean, you know, it's no, just because gonna... that's how they get large is by complying with the government and doing what they're told. Yeah. And and yeah, I mean, in a lot of cases, it's kind of like something they have to do to survive because all of their competition is going to be. Uh, you know, licking the government's boots. If yeah. and if they don't do it, then they're the odd one out, and they're significantly behind in the market. Yeah, and you can you can imagine what it would be like if Amazon Amazon's just trying to figure out what the best way for them to continue doing business is. And you know, up to this point, it's just been states saying you've got to pay, you've got to pay. But if the, a federal law comes out that where everybody you know sort of gets it. Everybody gets it, quote unquote, equally. All the online retailers have to pay taxes. Yeah. From an- so Right. So that that means that their opposition to these uh, states that had gone up against them, I think North Carolina was one of them, wanted to tax California. the affiliates of Amazon. I, and- think it was, I think it was Virginia, but I may, you know, I may be wrong, too. OK. And then, Cal- and as Certainly you mentioned, California. California wanted to tax, wanted them to collect California sales tax. And yep. Amazon fought those. But obviously, it wasn't a principled thing because they support now this federal proposed online sales tax. I suppose and I think, it was uh, to, to some extent inevitable, right? I don't know. I don't think it has to be. And it's so sad. And maybe if they get enough customer backlash, maybe they'll turn against it. I'm not really that hopeful. I think there's probably what's going on here is an element of Amazon thinking that if this new regulations or legislation is uh, enacted that requires all companies online who sell things online to collect this federal sales tax, you know, Amazon will be able to comply with that 
easily because they've come out in support of it now and they're already putting the framework in place within their own company Mm. to comply with that because they expect it's going to come. But they expect that their competition will not have that leg up. And because maybe they're smaller companies, they won't be able to uh, absorb those costs of compliance as easily. And so probably it will be an advantage for Amazon, unfortunately. I'm I'm not happy about it, but this does leave openings for businesses that want to operate from a more principled standpoint and not pay uh, money to organizations that claim a monopoly privilege and the use of violence in a given um, landmass. Um, and, you know, perhaps they use bitcoins um, or whatever system they <laughs> use in order to avoid. Or gift certificates or something like that. Something like I've, I've, that. I've always been fascinated by gift certificates because they're they're really another form of currency. Yeah. A lot of people don't think of them that way, but it's they a are an alternative currency. currency exchange takes place at the cash register. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you can only use it at one store usually, but <laughs> it yeah. is but a form of currency. They do have some that, that will um, you know, span several uh, different retailers and, and that kind of thing. The biggest problem I have with them is that at any point they just decide to shut off your money and they do it. Um, or they know. fee you every month you don't use it or something like that. Yeah, yeah I've, I think that's unfortunate. I've found that some businesses have been very, um, you know, immoral in the way that they deal with their gift certificates, and I don't like that. I mean, you know, if I have a... I don't know if it's immoral. I think it's probably just crappy, jerky. Stealing people's money, in my opinion, is immoral. If a bank did that to me, I'd consider it immoral. As far as I'm concerned, I've got my money with them in a bank. If If they let you know ahead of time, then you could argue that you consented to it, I guess. Dying to read their uh, terms of service. (laughs) 855-450-FREE. Free Talk Live. Are you looking for camping, hunting, or shooting gear? ManVentureOutpost.com carries knives, ammunition, scopes, binoculars, laser sights, fish finders, and boating equipment from manufacturers like Aimpoint, Bushnell, Otterbox, Crimson Trace, K-Bar, Remington, Streamlight, Winchester, and more. ManVentureOutpost.com. Family owned and members of the Better Business Bureau. Prices so low, some can't be advertised. Get an additional 5% off with coupon code FTL. Get it quick. Get it from ManVentureOutpost.com. Free Talk Live, 855 free. That's the single toll-free call-in line here on Free Talk Live's live Sunday edition, 855-450-3733. What is SACL CAI, you say? It's a company that handles accounts receivable. They can do it for your business. SACL CAI, the uh, principal over there, Jason Osborne, or one of the principals, is a big supporter of Liberty and a big supporter of Free Talk Live, and you can support him by going and Checking out uh, their banner at freetalklive.com. It's top on the right-hand side of the page. SACL C-A-I. Let's go to Peter. Oh, by the way, it's Mark with you. And Stephanie. Peter in Rhode Island. Peter, you're on Free Talk hey, Live. What's guys, on your mind? Uh, yeah, I, I went down to City Hall to get a permit to put a pool in my backyard. Okay. And found out that my house as a isn't actually in the United States. So I set up the four-bedroom republic of Pretoria. I love that. I wanted to call it Peterland, but that name was taken by the place down by the airport. Yeah, wow. bad. <laughs> Interesting. So is this just a good joke, or what happened? Damn it, Meg. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I wish that I would find out that uh, my Is that house... a Family Guy reference? I don't know. 
Yeah. I don't know. Is it? Is it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> take, take your word for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't spend my time watching uh, too much television on the radio too much, frankly. But I, Yeah, me neither. But yeah. I got that one. <laughs> it would be uh, very interesting if you did find out that your house was in the United States. And, that would you know, be awesome. Yeah. It, it draws the question is, why, why is it you can't withdraw your house from the United States? Why can't I say that my little piece of property is no longer in the United States? That's a darn good question, Mark. You know, what, I think you should I, be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, would uh, you know how how would that why why would they be so upset about it? Likely, if you did do that and they even let you do it, they'd put a little border crossing there and wouldn't let you out. Um, <laughs> you know. I can and picture that. Frankly, you know, I might figure out ways to handle that. Um, you know, let's set up some solar pan- panels from freetalklivesolar dot com. Let's uh, get our energy from from the sun and the wind and the water. Let's um, you know do. There's all kinds of things that you could do to, in order to stay at your property and uh, be be free. It'd be very interesting. But, um, you know, anyway, I, these are things that entertain my mind at different times. I'd like to get my own little island, set up my own little, little libertarian it's, paradise. It's an interesting question. Would you trade, you know, would you, be, would you live alone on an island, essentially, if you could never have to deal with any government bothering you? Or, you know, is the social aspect and the civilization, I guess, so important to you that you would live under an oppressive government to get that? Alone? I wouldn't live alone. <laughs> yeah, that's that's hard. It might be a false dichotomy, I think. Let's go to Jason in Fargo. Jason? Jason, you're on Free Talk Live. What's on your mind? Hey, I just had a, a comment about the sales tax issue that you raised with Amazon and the uh, potential national sales tax for Internet sales. Yeah, it sounds like it's um, actually going to be a national sales tax, but more like a national law that would re- require and facilitate uh, you know, companies paying the state la- sales taxes. Okay. Yeah, and I've got a comment of, you know, with uh, the state sales tax, if you're doing internet sales, you've got to deal with not just the state, but you're dealing with, you know, local municipalities, cities, counties, and all that. And for a small business, that's a killer. I mean, you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of different sales tax codes that you've got to be on top of and deal with distributions to. Um, So, yeah, I just think that's a a terrible idea. Right. And when I lived in uh, Sarasota, Florida, in Sarasota County, they had a one-cent sales tax that went to schools. They actually had the cheerleaders on the side of the road with signs. The teacher union got them out there with signs saying, give a penny to me. And, um, you know, but the next county over, which I lived in, Manatee County, I, and worked in Sarasota, lived in Manatee, they um, you know, they didn't have the sales tax. So sales, I think sales tax was uh, seven cents in one place and six cents in another, or six, uh, seven and eight, I'm not sure um, what it was, but you're absolutely right. This would, this could be, you know, this could be impossible. Right. Because, I mean, if you're sitting in Minnesota making a sale to Florida, you got hundreds of thousands of different tax codes, and they change constantly. Yeah. So keeping on top of that is nearly impossible. They probably yeah, would so, come out with a computer program that might be able to tell from zip code what the uh, obligation is. Well, the is. government wouldn't do that. Are you kidding? No, they don't no. care. Somebody will. <laughs> Somebody will. But the thing is, you know, I think I think the caller is absolutely right. What we would see probably if that happened would be either small businesses online refusing to sell to certain places. And they already are doing that. And some of them won't sell to California because you have to collect the California sales tax. Or we would see them going out of business. And that's really sad. Indeed it is. It uh, looks like the call dropped. I don't know whether the uh, the caller intended to do that or whether it was one okay. of those wonders of modern technology. You know, <laughs> <laughs> communication is facilitated, but, you know, it's kind of hit or miss at the same time. I mean, you know, you've gotten so used to Facebook and the Internet and communicating with people. And, yeah, you know, what happens when it goes down? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there are a lot of people who I wouldn't be able to contact if it weren't for Facebook because I just don't have any other info for them. So what... 
do what is the uh, Amazon comes out advocates a national sales tax essentially as the, the caller said there, um, and not exactly but you know, more or less a national sales tax. Yeah. What 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 does what do we as consumers who don't believe in this kind of thing um, do? Do we stop using Amazon? Um, I mean, you know, like you I, said, I it's would ubiquitous. Say publicly talk about it and express our dissent and and. Um, unsupport of what they are advocating. And I think that's why it's important to bring it up on the show tonight so people could, you know, maybe someone's listening and wants to write a letter to Amazon and let them know what they think of it. Well, I can tell you that I don't think that it's, uh, you know, for Free Talk Live, we've, uh, we're so deeply, um, you know, in bed with Amazon that I don't, I, you know, I'm not going to give a particular opinion. I think people need to figure that opinion out for themselves. Um, <laughs> well, I'm not. I mean, I'm a relatively new addition to the Free Talk Live crew. I don't benefit financially from Amazon's Free Talk Live affiliate program. Mm-hmm. So I can, I can say that on this press release from Amazon, there is a contact link. There's a contact by phone and contact by email from Amazon PR and Amazon Web Services PR and Amazon Customer Service and all this stuff. So, you know, give, let them know what you think. Well, what are the uh, contacts? Uh, they're, they're just links. They're probably okay. contact forms. So you can find that pretty easily. Just uh, how, how would one, what would one search for? on the, Search for the, Amazon. What's the name of this press release, I suppose? It's, um, it's on the Free Talk Live front page right now. Okay. And it's also called, if you, if you search for Amazon Strongly Supports Enactment of NZ Durbin Alexander federal online sales tax bill. Any of that probably will get you there. Yeah, the um, when when this caller called in, I think that he really struck to the heart of um, the issue here. You know, when Amazon is going to easily be able to implement this program compared to some, you know, maybe a retailer like ManVentureOutpost.com. Amazon's already starting to get ready to implement this program because they assume it's going to come. Right, because they've so got the cloud, I suppose. They're getting a leg up on complying with all these billions of sales tax codes that change all the time, and they're figuring... Uh, they're banking on the fact that their competition uh, will not do that. Maybe they'll sell the uh, the, the program to the yeah, competition. Exactly. But when you think about Man Venture Outpost and you know some guy who a family that sells uh, hand, hunting, camping, and sporting equipment, mm-hmm. and they sell them at really great prices. Mm-hmm. Those prices are necessarily going to have to go up because they'll have to comply with these new rules. And, of course, you'll get taxes yeah. taxed on it. Uh, consumers are they're less likely to buy things when they cost more. Yep. Um, when, when everything goes up by 10 percent, then, well, some people aren't going to buy based on that. It's not yes. that they're going – it's not that everybody buys everything that they have to buy everything that they buy. Mm-hmm. That's not true. Some people – you know, they – they will buy based on price, and if a price seems too high, then they just will do without. Yeah. Especially many of the things that are purchased online. Um, you know, these are these are not necessarily uh, you know foodstuffs and things like that. That people. I don't know. Have I get. Have. I get most of my you know essentials online, and actually on Amazon. Wow. You know, I just bought shampoo from there the other day. I mean, I just didn't feel and like going out to get it. As long as your hair is, you go through some shampoo. <laughs> I mean, you know, I just put a little dime-sized amount for my the little growth on the top of my head. You probably got to go, you know, a quarter of a bottle every time. Is that, that's what it's like, right, for for girls, people with long hair. Well, um, yeah, I probably use more shampoo than the average person, but uh, 
Enough about me. <laughs> well, I just, I, I, you know, one wonders this when I've never had long hair or thick hair for that matter. I, I mean, it's not like I buy the most expensive shampoo or anything, but it was really convenient, I'll say, to get it shipped directly to my door rather than having to go out and spend my time to go pick it up. Yeah, I've, I found you know, many things online. I get shipped right to the door and it, it can be, it's, it's a lot easier than having to go out and Well, and it would be shopping. sad to lose that convenience, you know, and I think in New Hampshire, it sounds like the way this is written, I'm not sure about this, but it sounds like... A state like New Hampshire that has no sales tax for the state would not be affected by this, really, except that a lot of online businesses would not be available because they Maybe wouldn't want to comply with New this Hampshire. stuff. Maybe. That'd be great. Welcome. Come on in. Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. Call in about this or anything. 855-450-FREE. Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call in line, 855-450-3733 on the live Sunday edition of Free Talk Live. It's Mark with you. That was Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to hit the cough button and failing you like know, a professional radio host. The cough buttons here are a little sticky, and if you don't get the exact push on it, that sometimes that'll happen. But, I will you know, practice yes, for sure, next time. I'm sure everybody forgives you, though. I want to tell you about Wise Foods. We've been talking about buying things online, and WiseFoodStorage.com offers delicious, ready-made meals like cheesy lasagna and savory stroganoff that are packaged for freshness in individual Mylar pouches. And they carry a 25-year shelf life. You can put these in uh, in your pantry or in your basement, and they're in you know these uh, these plastic cartons, uh, jug things, or uh, buckets. Uh, they're sealed. And you can be certain that if in the, you know something happens, whether it's uh, food shortages or uh, food inflates, you can be certain that's going to happen, right? Food, the cost of food is going to go up. Um, and you can buy now with uh, today's dollars and you know have food in the future. It's wisefoodstorage.com. You never know whether it's unemployment or natural disasters or whatever it might be. You can visit wisefoodstorage.com at 855-FOOD-WISE. To request a free entree sample. You don't have to just buy blind. They'll send you some to try. And for a limited time during the holidays, you can enter promo code FTL to get a no-cost shipping and 10% off any order. It's wisefoodstorage.com. You can call 855-FOODWISE. Use promo code FTL for a free sample, free shipping, and 10% off any order. Peace of mind included in every order. The greatest gift you can give your loved ones... This holiday season is wisefoodstorage.com, and uh, we've got some at my house, and I'm uh, very pleased that we do. Let's go to Brian in Washington. Brian, you're on Free Talk Live. What's on your mind? I was calling to talk about the internet tax, the sales tax. Yes, sir. And uh, it's about compliance. I'm not sure how they would you know, enforce compliance, because I've been on the internet, and there's a lot of places to buy things. Sure are. I, it does make wonder, one wonder. And they've uh, disproportionately gone after the large retailers like Amazon. But you would think that the large retailers would probably begin policing the smaller retailers, or at least the ones one and two levels beneath them, wouldn't you? Well, it'd be the large retailers that would suffer from it. Well, because and also, they're the ones that they're going to pay attention to. They're the ones they're going to look at. If I start a website right now and I sell a scarf I knitted myself and I'm not in compliance, 
they're not going to pay somebody to come collect the 37 cents. Probably true. I mean, there's there's probably a level at which you could operate without really being bothered too much. Um, you know, one wonders how long that would go. And many businesses intend to, you know, they're not profitable for the first two or three years even. They have to, you know, get sales over that period of time and then they might get profitable. And that, you know, at that point, you know, maybe the government would have caught up to you. Well, the large non-scale compliance would crush them. I mean, if everybody pretended that they were Mark Stevens and everybody on the Internet, because of the way memes are and the way the Internet community is, you know, the 5% that's in compliance is going to be great, and that'll be a great source of revenue. But the 95% that's not will suck all the revenue out in attempts at collection. It's, you're absolutely right. If a if if somebody finds um, you know that they can get a better deal than Amazon, if Amazon's paying the tax and then uh, you know Bob's Discount Mart isn't, um, then people are going to go to Bob's. Some a, a percentage of people are going to go to Bob's. They're going to talk to other people, and that's going to draw it away. And then of course the government will tr- attempt to go after Bob's at some point, but somebody else will have sprung up in the uh, in the meantime. Well, th- this gets weirder and weirder. Actually, I just pulled up an article that has a little bit more about this um, proposed legislation online. And it's it's actually called the Marketplace Fairness Act. So it does have one of those names that nobody can argue against. But this says that uh, it says if the Marketplace Fairness Act becomes a law, it'll be easier for states to collect sales taxes from online transactions. One act mandated by the bill involves states signing a multi-state legal agreement in order to align and conform their various sales tax codes, thus ensuring that individual online retailers are either uniformly charging sales taxes across the country or not at all. And then it says even states that don't sign such an agreement can issue minimum standards for online sales tax collection. States can apparently make different agreements with individual retailers under the proposed bill, which explains why Amazon has come out in favor of the law while eBay is strongly against it. That's so weird. I don't even understand how that would work, but it seems like different. they can go after different retailers differently. Doesn't sound fair, like uh, you know, equal <laughs> treatment fairness, under the law yeah. to me. It's so ironic. Brian? It sounds pretty standard, like any law I've ever heard. Yes. designed to be confusing. Yes, yes. But that's great. I mean, because people are worried about, oh, no, who do I got to pay what? Don't worry, they'll send you a bill. Yeah. I mean, if, they, if they're really going to be, you know, policing it, if you sell something online, then they'll be able to either send you a bill or they're not going to get their money. Well, I've got to say, Brian, um, at one point I opened a, a business and it didn't really go anywhere. And I'm sure this has happened to you know lots of people just kind of got the paperwork put together or whatever. And the tax collection agency in, I think it was the state, um, but had an office where, near where I lived, sent me a bill for like $12,500 in back taxes. Oh, my gosh. They just said, well, you know, you oh, opened this no. business. It's been a year. We are projecting your sales to have been that, and um, this is how much you owe as a result. So they just projected my sales and gave me a bill for $12,500. Take into consideration, I never sold anything with this business they just decided sometimes they have minimum yearly taxes especially so you got, if you form a corporation you've got to watch out for that they'll send you a bill thing Brian. yeah well yeah i mean they're going to send you a bill and if you just blindly pay it certainly but it's the government so they're going to send you some some paper they've printed some words on yes. and what you'll be able to do because of the glory that is the government you'll be able to grab your own paper 
and put a bunch of words on it and yeah. send it back to them. That's what I do. And then yeah. people are going to have to read it and make determinations. And four or five years later, they'll take $12 <laughs> because they'll be happy to get something. Yeah. Like, I've got some bills that have been in collections that I've purposely let stay there just to watch this. It's like a $300 bill. You wait a year, four other companies get it that have purchased your debt. Right. And then they send you a $200 bill, you know. And then the next one sends you a hundred dollar bill, and if you just wait long enough, you can pay the debt off in full for way less than it's worth because everybody who buys it buys it less than its actual value and is attempting a lot to less. less. I mean, they, they can buy it as low like as three percent and that kind of thing, just in the hopes that they uh, get wow. paid on it. Because after it makes a certain you know drop off point, in some companies it's ninety days, some companies it's one hundred and eighty. But does that they affect just write your, it off? Does that zero. affect your credit rating though? Oh, sure, it'll affect your credit rating. Absolutely. And it depends on what your credit rating's worth to you. The, frank, yeah. the, the fact of the matter is I live in a house and I drive a car and, uh, you know, that's I, I'm fine with those things. Um, you know, I'm not using my credit on, uh, you know, that that regular basis. Some people are really concerned about their credit ratings. I, I'm not saying that I'm, you know, don't care about it. But at the same time, if a situation comes up where somebody just charges me something that I don't feel I owe, which happened with me, uh, Manatee County, uh, county I used to live in, decided to charge me for water and utilities I wasn't using because I owned a house that I wasn't using. I'm like, I'm not paying you people crap. And so I just didn't send it. They kept sending bills. I just kept tossing them in the garbage. And could they put a lien on your house in that case? They could not, they had not, they didn't have the opportunity at that point. I mean, uh-huh. it, I was pretty close to uh, closing on a deal and I'm like, I'm not paying you people anything. Yeah. And so it didn't, it didn't close and it's just sitting on my credit report at this point. And I don't care. They, <laughs> okay. They, nobody's even contacting me about it. I care that little. Yeah. There's something to be said for not just going ahead and blindly paying any bill that you get sent, you know, I mean, it, it helps to question, especially if it comes from the government, you know, I would say if you legitimately got a service from a company, um, it's probably sure. a good idea to pay That's for a different story, that, but, you know, you know, uh, uh, they but gave a you something that you wanted. Right. But uh, sometimes in dealing with companies, uh, cell phone companies come to mind, you know, all these fees will be slammed on you. You didn't feel like, you... or what about hospitals? I mean, I've heard so oh many God, horror yeah. stories of people who are taken, you know, by ambulance and they maybe didn't need to be, maybe could have been given a ride by a friend or something like that. Or they go to the hospital for something minor, like a cut that needs stitches or something. And they get like a $4,000 dollar bill and then they ask for an itemized receipt and it says like you know sterile gloves eighty dollars you know <laughs> and you can dispute those charges one-on-one if you go to the hospital and they usually have like a billing department or patient mm-hmm. services that you can do but yeah there's something to be said for not just if something seems outrageous you know maybe question it a little bit Brian? well yeah it's yeah you definitely got to pay attention to what you're doing for sure and as far as credit goes I mean, people really worship their credit score, and that's great. If you're not planning on using the your credit to buy a home, though, and you're really upset with the banks and you have decent credit, you might want to go out and get yourself a bunch of credit cards, as many as you possibly can, and then, you know, buy yourself a bunch of stuff on credit, like gold. <laughs> I don't know and, if I would um, advocate that. Just don't pay it back, because I've found with my experience with companies that when you don't pay them, I don't, don't I don't think I could feel good yeah. about that. I'm not going to advocate yeah. for it, Brian, but I understand where you're coming from. Thanks for the call. 855-450-3733. You're on Free Talk Live's Live Sunday edition. 855-450-FREE.
Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line here on the live Sunday edition of Free Talk Live. That's 855-450-FREE. That's 3733 for those of you who uh, maybe don't have the letters on your telephone. I know I had a cell phone once that didn't have the letters on there. I found it very, very frustrating. There's always phonespell.org, but luckily they don't need to go there because you give it out both ways. <laughs> 855-450-3733. Get your liberty message out to thousands of people a month for fractions of a penny apiece. Do it from the back of your car with libertystickers.com. They have hundreds and hundreds of different liberty sayings there. You can check them out. Let your voice be heard. Libertystickers.com. I really enjoy the website, like going there, reading the sayings they have. They're clever, and they, uh, they, they speak to my heart. It's libertystickers.com. Check them out. Let your voice be heard. So, Stephanie, we um, have another an article here about yeah. private roads. And I'll tell you, yes. when you talk about the ideas of liberty and the ideas that uh, we don't necessarily need top-down da- hierarchical organizations calling themselves the state handling everything, one of the first things that people think of is... What about the roads? What about the roads? And you can use the examples... It's anarchy! <laughs> examples day in and day out of private roads that are, you know, spr- that are all... The springing up all over the United States. Uh, every parking lot that there is, right. any p- private plaza where there are lots of, um, you know, malls, that kind of thing. Deed restricted communities where they, uh, you know, make private roads inside that area, and the, yep. you know, the you know people essentially pay. Even into people the, here in, in New Hampshire, some of our neighbors who maintain their own roads, you yep. know, their dirt roads or whatever. And it's, it's, there's lots. My of driveway is long enough to be called a road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there are lots of different and, creative uh, solutions about how the need for transportation and you know having roads to drive on would get met without forcing people to pay for it. Right. And what, another really great example are railroads. Railroads crisscross yes. the United States all over the place. The vast majority of them were built privately. I don't know. I can't specifically say any of them were governmental, but I'm not going to say that all of them were privately built. But I mean, here you have private organizations companies dealing with um, landowners you know going in and and you know buying things at the rate that they felt like they're you know paying for that was fair to pay for them and, and that kind of thing so I mean the idea that roads can't get taken care of in a marketplace is a is really just you know not looking at it I mean it, it's a knee-jerk reaction lots <laughs> of people say it if I had to give up cops courts roads and military in order to see um, you know t- taxes reduced in other areas I suppose I'd do that but I'd immediately go to work on getting rid of those things too um, you know I'm willing to make a deal for more yeah. liberty but don't think that I'm my dealings done yeah well and you know it, it can be really sad because as this article is about to point out so many times the government control of roads actually really holds back the progress of having the technology of good roads to to drive on. Sure. For instance, I used to live in Massachusetts before I moved to New Hampshire, where I got some sense and uh, moved to New Hampshire. And not only did they have tolls on the major highway that went from one side of this, from east to west in the state, they had tolls quite often, and especially as you approached Boston, the tolls got more frequent and more expensive. Sure. But the roads were full of potholes year round. Yeah. You know, and they would hire these union contractors to uh, resurface the roads and stuff like that. But, you know, they would have to do it every couple of years. And meantime, they would be even more frost heaves and potholes. And it it got to the point at some places where it wasn't really that safe to drive on because the road was just so pitted and it was really in need of work. But they could, you would think with all the tolls they had, 
they would be able to find some way to repair the roads. But when you look at what these toll takers make, I mean, some of these toll takers, they're making oh, yeah. 80000 a year yep. and the benefits. Don't forget the benefits. Now, yeah. I mean, I'll admit the job's got to be miserable. It yeah. would take a certain personality type to really enjoy it. But but those jobs are difficult to get unless you actually know someone. If you're connected, you know, a lot of times it's like family members and things like that. Sure. A job jobs. where you do essentially nothing and get paid 80 or $90,000 a year is absolutely going to be difficult to get a hold of. Well, and but look you at can some see of the tolls. where the money goes. It goes yeah. to the person who's taking the money. Well, and, and yes, and in Massachusetts, they had the big dig, which is widely sure. regarded as one of the worst examples of government failing to successfully build roads. I mean, it was well, 10 certainly. years over over uh, completion. It was 10 times over budget and, and one it of the killed panels, people. Right. And then one of the panels falls from the, the yes. uh, bridge and kills somebody shortly afterwards after it gets opened up. I mean, it is... <laughs> It's, it, it was atrocious. I mean, and, and that didn't have to happen. Right. You know? If you really like the idea of roads, the last organization you would want involved in them is, is the, the government. government. I mean, because who got if, if I built a building and my building fell over and killed somebody, I'd probably be held responsible, may even go to jail. Yes. Who went to jail when the government? No, did? nobody. Mistakes were made. That's yeah, what mistakes they always, were made. Yeah, that's what right? they always say. Yep. So not we made mistakes or Jim over here effed this up. Yeah. You know, they don't say that. They just say mistakes were made. And you were all forced to pay for it. That's the thing that they don't say. Right. Government thrives on failure. Yeah. It, you know, when, when they fail, the taxpayers had to pay the money in order to whatever whatever happened with the family there. They had to make them whole, had to pay the money to put the uh, bridge back together that fell apart. The yeah. Taxpayers pay this. I mean, And don't forget, I mean, this isn't something that people see immediately. This is kind of the unseen consequences. But the Big Dig was supposed to essentially eliminate traffic in Boston, especially right. getting to Logan Airport. And it did nothing of the sort. I mean, <laughs> it really didn't do what it was supposed to do. Right, well, and it was happens. bloated, over budget, late, and dangerous. All the time with government programs. You know, when they fail to uh, produce what it is that they say that they're going to produce, mm-hmm. they just charge more money and start another program to do the same darn thing over and over again. The government thrives on failure. Yep. Businesses don't. When they fail, they get more money. Yep. When businesses fail, they go out of business and you don't deal with them again. Yeah. So let, let, let me get into this article. It's very interesting to me. Uh, so it's from economicsjunkie.com. It's a blog. Anyone who thinks we need government to build and maintain roads may want to consider, uh, and then it links to an article, Kauai residents don't wait for the state to repair the road. Their livelihood was being threatened, and this is a block quote from another article. Their livelihood was being threatened, and they were tired of waiting for government help. So business owners and residents on Hawaii's Kauai Island pulled together and completed a $4 million repair job to a state park for free. Palihale State Park has been closed since severe flooding destroyed an access road to the park and damaged facilities in December. The State Department of Land and Natural Resources had estimated that the damage would cost $4 million to fix, money the agency doesn't have, according to a news release from the department chairwoman, blah, blah, blah. It would have been open this summer and it probably wouldn't be open next summer. Uh, Sorry, it would not have been open this summer and it probably wouldn't be open next summer, said uh, a local surfer who helped organize the volunteers. They said it would probably take two years, and with the way that they are cutting funds, we felt like they'd never get the money to fix it. And if the repairs weren't made, some business owners faced the possibility of having to shut down. Ivan Slack, co-owner of Nepali Kayak, said his company relies solely on revenue from kayak tours and needs the state park to be open to operate. The company jumped in and donated resources because it knew that without the repairs, uh, the kayak company would be in financial trouble. 
If the park is not open, it would be extreme for us, to say the least, he said. Bankruptcy would be imminent. How many years can you be expected to continue operating, owning 15 passenger vans, $2 million in insurance, and a staff? For us, it was crucial, and our survival was dependent on it. The park is the key to the sheer survival of the business. So this guy and other business owners and research uh, residents made the decision not to sit on their hands and wait for state money that many expected would never come. Instead, they pulled together machinery and manpower and hit the ground running on March 23rd. And then there's a video of it. After only eight days, all of the repairs were done. It was a shockingly quick fix to a problem that may have taken much longer if they waited for state money to funnel in. I'm sure it would have. We can wait around for the state or federal government to make this move, or we can go out and do our part. The business owner said, just like everyone sitting around waiting for a stimulus check, we were waiting for this, but we decided we couldn't wait anymore. Uh, Thielen has been waiting too. another person uh, who's the government bureaucrat in the state land uh, department or whatever. She wants the legislature to approve her recreation renaissance project, a $240 million booster shot to help fix parks around the state. Without it, at least five state parks may be forced to close. There would be no emergency repair money to fix the state park. We shouldn't have to do this, but when it gets to a state level, it just gets so bureaucratic. Something that took us eight days would have taken them years, said Troy Martin, another business article, uh, business owner who donated machinery and steel for the repairs. So we got together, the community, and we got it done. This yeah. is really cool. You know, and I mean, people say, well, you know, people are coming from all over and driving on this road. They should all pay for it. It's fair, 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 fair. You know, the business I, owners were the ones who decided they, just, they had to get it fixed. They had to have it. You know, the money's there. You, you got to have this road to make money, and they fixed it. It's and amazing. We're going to wait story. for the state. Pretty cool. It's an amazing story. 855 450 3733. Free Talk Live. Are you a cigarette smoker? I was too for many years. You know that crap's going to kill you, right? There's a healthier option. 22,000 times healthier. Vaporsmiths.com. A pack a day smoker will save $120 a month and it tastes better. No more ashtray mouth. No smell. No secondhand smoke. You could use it just about anywhere. Free shipping on orders over $60 and a free starter kit with the purchase of 40 cartomizers with coupon code FTL. Call 855 to get vapor or go to vaporsmiths.com. Free Talk Live, 855-453. It's SACL toll-free call in line, 855-450-3733. You can call in, talk about whatever you want to talk about. That's what we do here on Free Talk Live. It's the whole point of the show. Call in, talk about whatever you want. 855-450-3733. It is the live Sunday edition with Mark. And Stephanie. Check out Bitcoins. They're the world's first free market, peer-to-peer digital cash. They can be used anywhere in the world without needing permission from any government or corporation. They can't be counterfeited or inflated. And now you can buy them with a credit card or PayPal. MemoryDealers.com is proud to offer physical Bitcoins that you can hold in your hands, but can also be transferred back into normal digital form at any time. They make great conversation starters and Christmas gifts. Be part of the currency that's transforming the world. Buy your Bitcoins at MemoryDealers.com. Again, it's MemoryDealers.com. So, Stephanie, we uh, just read a story about the um, a, a company in Kauai. Or it it wasn't co- just co- one company. company. I'm sorry. It's a group of people in, in Kauai that... Um, 
repaved a road in a in a park there. They that- had to repair it because there was severe flooding that damaged the road. It was like an access road, essentially, mm-hmm. in a national park. And the state was saying it would cost something like $4 million and take two years to fix. Okay. But they did it for free in eight days. And it was motivated by, you know... Well, how did they fix it for free? Uh, because people donated services. Like okay. there was a uh, heavy equipment company that donated steel and uh, machinery in order to fix the road. And then a lot of people donated their own labor in order to fix it. Wow. That's really impressive. It makes you wonder why the heavy equipment company would, um, you know, what what what's their benefit in fixing this particular road? Maybe it's a secondary benefit in having, um, you mm-hmm. know, community relations or something like that. I'm sure they got a great well, deal. Well, and like of- it was their livelihood. I mean, there are so many people's businesses who made a living off of the tourism in Hawaii, actually, or, or Kauai, actually, um, depended on having this road operational. Right. And so I think it would kind of benefit everybody in an abstract way who lives on that island or has a business there because they didn't want the local businesses to be devastated. You sure. know, I, I absolutely agree with that. So, you know, and, and then this uh, road building can be the the uh, fourth, excuse me, the third rail in libertarian politics. You know, people tend to uh, want to steer away from it. Um, you know, here on Free Talk Live, it can be, you know, it, it in the past it has uh, mired itself, uh, the, the show, and try, talking to people about it because they just can't imagine how – the ground can be paved in the absence of, uh, you know, some state organization doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, how in the world can, uh, you know, two states make roads meet at the state line? How can this be done? How <laughs> well, can- you know, and it, it's important to point out that, you know, we're not we're talk show hosts. Right. Mm-hmm. And scientists in some cases. Right. And we don't we're not experts on building or paving or designing roads and road technology. However, we can say for sure that in a free society, at least there are more creative ways to get this done and to meet this need for people than to do it by forcing people to pay for it. That much is true. And I think that it's fair to say that uh, the free market is always more innovative than the government is. Yes. And that the innovation would be there as far as road technology. It may very well be uh, cheaper to produce if the government hadn't been involved for the last, what, hundred years or so. Oh, I really wonder what technologies we don't have in common use today because the government mostly handles roads. I mean, I could envision heated roads that, that run on, you know, that absorb solar energy. I mean, what better way to get to store solar energy than a black strip of land that's completely clear, you know, that the sun is shining down on all day? I mean, couldn't we harness that somehow to heat the roads and get the snow off of them? In this place At the like very least, I mean, you might be able to uh, use the power. Um, yeah, stick- to power I mean, streetlights. There's something, that's, there's something that goes right along the side of most roads, and that's power lines. I yep. mean, you'd think you'd be able to uh, shunt the power, the DC power into the AC grid transformers. I don't know exactly what one would have to do, but yeah. And and who knows? I mean, maybe they wouldn't even be uh, like asphalt. Maybe they would be rails that cars could get on and then they could essentially drive themselves to a pre-programmed destination. Maybe there would be flying cars. You know, we just don't know what the future would actually hold. Right. You, I mean, you know, when you think about um, you know, maybe cars would have, you know, smaller um, combustion engines in them and then work essentially like trolleys did yep. where they drug this uh, this line along and they would get electricity from, in some cases, from a, a line overhead, in some cases from a line beneath. And you could just get the power from the road that would be generating the, you know, would be generating the power of the car would go along i mean you, you talk about solving the uh, the world's energy crisis yeah. i mean there it is the road is powering the vehicles on it yeah these are things that that i you know are government bureaucrats asking themselves these questions no. i would venture to say <laughs> 
Not at all. No. Like there's just there's nothing there in it for them. Zero zip zilch. And they're not doing it. And well, they don't they don't have any reason to innovate. They don't have a reason to spend people's money wisely because they have an unlimited supply of other people's money that they can take by force. And, you know, it's it's not it's not to try to disparage them, but they just don't have those proper incentives. They're not trying to help people get to their businesses so that they can make a profit, you know, right. and that they could give people a product that they want. Right. They're if just basically trying to subsidize their own existence. And, you know. It leads to real inefficiencies. If you're going out and buying a car for yourself and your family, you're going to play, pay a heck of a lot more attention to detail than you are if you're going out and buying, uh, you know, three cars for three different people in your neighborhood or whatever. And then when you start talking about you're the car buyer for the world, what do you care about this guy in Poughkeepsie and what kind of car he gets? Here, you just give him the car. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I yeah. mean, it's suddenly it's just it's human nature. And when somebody else when the, is, when is paying for there, it, then yeah. you're going to spend. You know, $100,000 on a Honda Accord, I think, is uh, an example that you've used before in the past, Mark. Well, yeah. In in that case, I'm talking about, uh, you know, failures versus successes in the government paradigm. And I think that it is a, uh, you know, some people will say, well, look, government did get the road built. No one's doubting that. But look, the government said that it was going to cost $4 million to do this road, and they managed to do it. The people in this community did it in eight days, and they're saying zero, but I mean, there was certainly some cost to some people. Yeah, it it was a lot of donations of labor. But I mean, people were willing to to do that because it was so important. Even the labor, uh, you know, 1% of the the, 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 raw materials, $40,000, and I, you know, it sounds to me like they did a far better job. Yeah. And this is this is what it comes down to. One tries to quantify how inefficient the government is, and it's a pit that never ends. Here yeah. it is. I mean, I'm just coming up with a number 100 times more efficient the marketplace was in this case than, you know, you got to figure in people's labor, how much does that cost? I don't know. I mean, it's it's very difficult to say. Sure. Makes it very, very difficult. But when you're talking about successes and failures in the area of the marketplace of the government, yeah, the government got the road built, but it got it built for a hundred times what it would have cost these people. If I paid a hundred times what the value of the Honda Accord was when I went out and purchased it, I can tell you my wife wouldn't consider that a success. She would consider it an abject (laughs) failure, even if I paid double what the Accord was worth. They're buying natty ice for the price of, you know, rich champagne, right? Right. If (laughs) the the richest of rich champagne. Yeah. (laughs) Even when the, you know, even when the, the new roads, I mean, Different states are different, but I mean, I've seen in, in instances where in a couple of years the road's deteriorating. You're yeah. like, what happened here? What happened? Mm-hmm. Who's responsible? Nobody's responsible. The taxpayer's responsible. And it's the tragedy of the commons. Yeah. Nobody cares about how this is uh, built. And well, nobody's and people lose talk about the highway, the interstate system as being so great, but I think the original impetus for building that was so they could have a way to transport military tanks. It was absolutely. Yeah. Bad. Free Talk Live. Your road questions answered here. Free Talk Live, 855-453. That's the signal toll free call in line here on the live Sunday edition of Free Talk Live. 855-450-3733, the Free State Project's Liberty Forum. It's February the 23rd through the 26th, 2012. 
But you can get your tickets now and get them more cheaply and early bird discount. Um, and there's a free talk live discount with coupon code 2012. It's one of the largest Liberty gatherings in the world, and you can be part of it. Uh, it'll be held at the elegant Nashua Crown Plaza Hotel. So far, the speakers include Joel Salatin, author of You Can Farm, Clark Neely from the Institute of Justice, Jack Spierko, a survival expert, Michael Cloud from the Center for Small Government. Just go to freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum and sign up with coupon code FTL2012. If you're going to go, now's the time to get your ticket. You do not want to screw around on this because you get both discounts. FTL2012, early bird at freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. Let's go back to the phones here. We've got Zach in Minnesota. Zach? Zach, you're on free talk. I uh, just I just wanted to get your opinion on this real quick. Uh, sure. I, I will admit that I'm not terribly familiar with bitcoins, but um, I I almost wonder if this is going to go the same way as the Liberty Dollar, where uh, everyone got excited about it being an alternative currency, and and while that was barter currency, and and the focus was actual coins, and I think that may have been what got them in trouble. Um, I guess I heard the last spot, and now Bitcoins are making physical coins as well. I, I almost wonder, do you think the Fed is going to try to trump on this as well, or do you think the, that they won't be able to? They've, well, they've already talked about it. Uh, I, I, know, I don't know if they're just making noise or what, but to me, I don't know. I, I'm actually not that familiar with Bitcoins either myself. And so I don't know. They're disturbed. It Certainly some people in the government, uh, you know, one politician whose name escapes me had uh, mentioned them. And, you know, he doesn't like the idea that uh, that uh, interactions can be done, <clears throat> excuse me, um, anonymously on the Internet. Of course, they can be done anonymously in real life by cash. So oh, I guess course, that yeah. he doesn't like cash either. I but- think the big deal with the Liberty Dollar was that they one of the big deals was that they used the word dollar. And somehow the feds claimed that that was, you know, fraudulent or... Well, you know, there's sort of this... The Liberty Dollar had some special circumstances. Um, The the fellow there, Bernard von Nothaus, for one, pioneers take the arrows, right? Um, So, and and people learn from the, you know, things that happen. The Liberty Dollar said liberty across the top. Mm Mm-hmm. Lots of U.S. coins say Liberty across the top. It had a picture of the Statue of Liberty. Now, there's never been a U.S. coin that's as beautiful as the Liberty Dollar, as far as I'm concerned. It's the most beautiful coin ever minted, at least from the what, the obverse, the front of it. Just gorgeous. Um, but it said, trust in God rather than... Um, uh, in God we trust. In God we trust. Yeah. It had, uh, you know, just... It, it, it said it had dollar amounts with a dollar symbol next to it. Mm-hmm. And these are, you know, these were things that kind of... Uh, you know, put it into the realm of of counterfeiting. Like somebody could be confused by this. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, Bernard von Nothaus was on video at one point uh, making some purchases online. You know, for some shows and stuff, showing how easy it was to use the the Liberty Dollar. And one had to question whether or not the store owners knew that they were in fact taking a um, you know a silver a, piece, an, on, uh, an alternative currency, or mm-hmm. if they were just taking an interesting U.S. coin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I don't know. I was looking at that. I don't know. I can tell you that one time when I bought some stuff that I used the Liberty Dollar and I was just too sort of scared and ashamed and <clears throat> pardon me. And, you know, not ready to have a conversation with somebody about the value of silver, just making a purchase. And I essentially 
you know, I, I, I put it forth as if it was a U.S. coin. I didn't, oh, really? I didn't say that that was the case, but I certainly didn't give people enough information to think otherwise. And if the, uh, the did it clerk, work? Oh, yeah, they took it. Mm-hmm. The store clerk, maybe they didn't. In a lot of cases, store clerks would just take them and put them in the pocket and exchange them for an FRN, yep. um, a, a Federal Reserve note, and um, you know they would buy them. Mm-hmm. And those people are doing pretty good right now. But what if a store clerk tried to, you know, put them, put it into the bank? The bank says this isn't money. They could get in trouble. You know, like there, some people could use the Liberty Dollar in a way. But there were a lot of people, though, just to kind of play devil's advocate here. Like, for instance, I know Ian used to talk about this a lot, where he would represent them as if they were definitely not U.S. dollars, which they weren't meant to be. Absolutely. And he would give his email address and business card with every. Liberty dollar that he that's used. absolutely the right way to do it, mm-hmm. but um, you know that it doesn't really change the argument for uh, counterfeiting, which is the biggest argument. That's really what the Liberty dollar got. No sure. one's going to claim that bitcoins, which are um, you know in their tangible form, are poker chips essentially with mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, little. Uh, you know, gizmos on the back or whatever, yeah. uh, or um, you know, ones and zeros on the internet. No one's going to claim that somebody's going to think that those are dollars. Um, you know, there's th- that that problem isn't yeah. there. Could the federal government try to go after Bitcoin? Yes, they oh, would have sure. a very could, difficult they, time. They would like short to, of shutting down the internet, getting rid of Bitcoin, though. They I mean, would like to have a monopoly on currency, and I think that. I don't like the idea of monopolies. I think that people should be able to freely create their own alternative currencies if they wish to do so and, you know, have security mechanisms that will reassure consumers who might want to use their currency that this is indeed real. Right. Bitcoins are a better currency than the United States dollar. I mean, they just have more, uh, you know, features that uh, the U.S. dollar doesn't have. I mean, they they Mm -hmm. can't be counterfeited. So... I suppose you could make a metal, cheap metal chip that looked like silver, but, you know, there are ways to tell the difference. Sure. You know? Does uh, that answer any questions, Zach, or do you have further ones? <laughs> well, no, I think I think that's about it. Uh, what do you think, Zach? Do you think that the feds well, are imminently going after Bitcoin? Well, I, I think they will. I think it's a matter of time. Uh, you know, the common theme with the government is they don't like competition, so... Uh, yeah. Of course, I think they're going to, how successful they'll be, uh, bringing a case by the government into government courts with government lawyers. You know, I'm sure they'll try their best, but... Yeah, I, I, I just wonder you know, how they're going to... Time will tell. Yeah, it's, it's going to be difficult for them to prove things, the anonymity that's built into Bitcoins. You know, they've learned from many of the things that have been in the past and that have happened in the past as far as these, these suits go. I don't know. I mean, I, I simply don't know what's going to happen, but... I do know that some many people that have looked into this uh, technology believe that it is something that could, in fact, change the world and the way it operates. Um, you know, the way PayPal was designed to be initially, before it became you know mainstream, was essentially an alternative internet. And started currency. asking for people's tax ID numbers and stuff as they're doing recently. Right, and so now you know, bitcoins could very well fill that gap. There's a, there's a large demand for that, and I think yep. it's very interesting. I'm sure it's just a matter of time before uh, digital currency is just the norm. If you think, you know, how many Americans just use a check card? I I never touch Federal Reserve notes. There's just no reason to. It's just so much easier just to do it all digitally. So I, I really think that tangible currency will be gone, you know, maybe in our lifetimes, but for sure the next. Mm. Um, 
it could very well happen. There's no doubt about it. But people probably still do business in gold and silver in real life just because those things are valuable until they, um, you know, s- such time as, uh, you know, the, the alchemists actually make it so that you can make gold and silver out of nothing. And uh, these things really could <laughs> They've happen. They've been trying to do that for a long that time. That doesn't mean it won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, the mining processes could be improved. You know, like right now it's a little hard, difficult to mine gold and silver, right? And so part of the value of them is that they're scarce and rare and that they're hard to get your hands on more of them. But that that technology could certainly improve. Well, they just created, what, five new elements um, or something like that uh, that they just came. Oh, really? I did not know uh, about yeah, they're that. they're naming them after some German cities and stuff well, like that. Well, you know, once they get up into the really high uh, molecular weight or chemical weights or whatever, um, it, it's very hard to keep them stable. So those large, very heavy elements tend to deteriorate quickly into smaller I imagine things. that's true. Radioactive, Probably. you know, they're very unstable. I bet that's true. But um, you know, t- what that says to me is that if they can create these large uh, molecules that are atoms, mm-hmm. then they can probably modify atoms that exist and take what lead, turn it into gold, things like that. I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's got to be skeptical. Okay, well, <laughs> but it could be possible. I maybe. suppose we'll see. I mean, you know, we're just talking about a, a, a in the future. But if they were able to turn lead into gold, then gold would become less valuable. Absolutely, that's the point I was trying to make yeah. about gold and its its value is that um, you know people will probably trade and use it until they can be you know created at some point. Zach, thank you for the call. 855-450-3733 and Free Talk Live's Live Sunday Edition. Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. It's the SACL toll-free call-in line here, the live Sunday edition. You might be able to squeeze your call in. Lines are clear, 855-450-3733. If you smoke cigarettes, you need to consider what's that doing for your long-term health? Is there some better way? There is. Uh, the e-cigarette from Vaporsmiths.com. It's one of the best-made e-cigarettes on the market today, and you can get it for free. All you have to do is go to Vaporsmiths.com and use coupon code FTL when you purchase 40 cartomizers. Those are little things that screw on the back of the vaporizer so you can get the the nicotine uh, shot into your lungs with... uh that nicotine goodness. Um, they come in lots of flavors. Reds, Turkish classics, menthol, cherry, vanilla, strawberry, cloves. And the strawberry, really awesome. It's one of their new flavors and it's, it really tastes great. Um, this is significantly better for you than uh, cigarettes and... You'll save money on top of it. It's uh, Vaporsmiths.com. Call 855-2-GET-VAPOR or go to Vaporsmiths.com. Again, it's 855-2-GET-VAPOR, Vaporsmiths.com, coupon code FTL. And, uh, you know, cigarettes, old technology, e-cigarettes, the new, the new way to go. Stephanie, have you heard about the, the Rick Perry gaffe? Um, this oh, week. is this where he was asked to name like three government programs that he would cut or get rid of? Yeah, like and he name was the government like, program you get rid of. He says he'd get rid of three. He names one, two, and then and he's like, oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I did was, hear about that. If you'd got to see it, it was funny. I, I mean, did see a video of it because yeah. he really couldn't get it. I mean, like it was over the course of a minute. And yeah, he, he was, was given ample remember. opportunity. And then Ron Paul even tried to jump in and help him. Several and say, of them is, did. Is yeah, it this one? And yeah. he was like, uh, no, that's not, not it. No. Department of Energy actually was the one that he was it trying was to think one, of. It was one, two, and yeah. well, and, you know, two. 
I'm no fan of Rick Perry by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel that this is just kind of unfair. I mean, who hasn't had, you know, a moment in time where they just couldn't remember something and to say that... I'm sure there's an enormous amount of pressure when you're up there on stage underneath all the lights, but, you know, historically it's always been, unfortunately, that people really judge presidential presidential candidates by their how speaking ability yes by their speaking ability and right. talk if, radio hosts too. if you wanted and i failed that right now <laughs> if you wanted to hire people for their speaking ability why not just go to the source and get anthony robbins or one of these uh, or billy graham <laughs> or one of these people that is paid to do speaking i mean these people are going to be really well, good why Ron- would- ronald reagan was an actor right and right. a lot of them have different careers in speaking you know obama had a lot of experience with that himself Apparently, it doesn't hurt to be a good orator, but you know, it just really showed when I saw that clip of Rick Perry forgetting what he was going to say. It just had this, it smacked of him being like coached on these talking points, right? And they're like, okay, Governor Perry, remember this and this and this. And he's like, okay, got it. And he's ready to go on stage. And then he forgets it. Well, like I think the guy's creepy on, um, you know, when he when he does these things. I don't like his smile and you know his his hair and his suit don't do anything for me. Well, but, of course he's creepy. He wants to take your money and control your life. He, he certainly wants that. I mean, who would seek out an office like that? You know, who I, would seek to be in charge of the government, the federal the government? The rest of the people on the stage too is basically the answer. Well, yeah, and, but the point is they're they're all creepy. Yeah, they're all. You know, it's very unfortunate, in my opinion, that I've there's say, anyone who wants that job. I find that uh, Ron Paul cr- far less creepy than the rest of them. But, you know, this is... At least he's talking about peace and ending the wars. That, that's, it's, At it's the a big, very least. It's a, it's a big deal. I mean, I, under, I understand lots of people find voting distasteful, and I get where you're coming from. I'm not uh, saying that you got to run out there and do your voting, but uh, most people would say that there would be a preference as to, to who, who they would like to have. It seems like Gingrich... Is um, you know with uh, with with Kane getting his what four or five gals now that are saying that he uh, sexually harassed him and um, yeah yeah you know one wonders that's a lot of smoke for there to be no fire um, yeah and now and Gingrich some of them... seems to be getting a boost and God <laughs> yeah that that's awful none but... of you know none of the choices it's like what when when are they just going to start uh, digging up uh, dead politicians and trotting them out because i mean you thought that gingrich's campaign was over <laughs> well, when it, his staff quit there, uh, several there months ago. have been examples of dead politicians who who have been deceased but they like one yes but yes before their name was taken off the ballot and they have actually won elections what was that funny noise i have did no idea it? i did hear it oh Technical difficulties, please stand by. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, Gingrich. I it was find... the sound of freedom dying. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> it went out happened. With a pff, apparently, yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, you, you know, I don't know. It seems when I whenever I see one of these guys go down, and they've all gone down at this point. Romney was up, then down. Bachman up, down. Uh, Perry up down Kane up going down perhaps i mean i don't i'm not proposing to to say that's what, it's what go- the women said <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> i'm just kidding there's a that's what she said joke folks yeah. <laughs> i didn't do well it. you know about this about the claims of you know impropriety and sexual harassment and that kind of thing this is old news this happens to every politician and it it says something about their character right that they're willing to 
essentially view women as objects. If this is accusations, I don't is actually think every true. politician. I think it, it, it it's so many. One of the personality well, they're types. Either, they're either closeted gay and they're not coming out about it and they're lying about it, or they're womanizers. Usually, well, I, th- I think that one of the personality types that's drawn into politics is a, is a, is a personality type that tends to get you know to, to be very interested in the opposite sex. Power monger. Pa- you know the, the the power and yeah. and you know that one of the ways to to be able to procreate and spread your seed far and wide is to get into positions of power. Mm-hmm. And, and remember, we're not that far from these, you know, where politicians could have any woman they wanted at any time. I mean, we're just a c- couple hundred years, if if not uh, sooner than that. So, you know, that's, go- oh, that's it's, so it, gross. It's going to draw those folks. Now, I, I've heard Ron Paul won't even get into the elevator with a woman un- yep. unescorted. Yep. So, I mean, it shows where his uh, where his values lie. You know, he loves his wife. He doesn't want to you know, be mixed up in any of this and doesn't want that to happen to him. Uh, we got a call. Daryl in Texas. Let's go to Daryl in Texas. Daryl? Hey, wanted to talk about that uh, Marketplace Fairness Act. Yes. It is anything but fair. Yeah. Uh, everything that I've read, it's being touted as a bipartisan effort, which uh, the three senators that jointly introduced this thing, Enzi, Durbin, and Alexander, you know, two Republicans and a Democrat. Right. It's, well, hey, everybody bi- loves taxes. Yeah, bipartisan loves is, take your money. is a, the political version of double penetration. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's basically what I was going to say. Do people need any more proof that bipartisan means being gang raped by donkeys and elephants? Yeah, it's it's really, really awful. Um, you know, I mean, I, I when the politicians get together, say bipartisan, new tax – I, yeah, but that's it's a scary... almost a foregone conclusion. The reason we were talking about it like it's a reality here is because it doesn't seem like anything could stop this. Well, right. And whenever yeah, they say when you've got uh, Amazon and the uh, shopping center organization, I forget the exact name of it. Uh, it's the ICSC. I wouldn't claim they're okay. backing this. The American Booksellers Association is backing this. So you've got a lot of big organizations and big businesses that are getting behind this thing yeah it's coming down i mean it would it would seem like if this doesn't do it this year that doesn't mean it's not going to happen you know i mean it's it's going to happen well then for me what that says is that it's time to start looking for alternatives and ways that i could possibly get around paying this you know because i try to decrease my tax footprint as much as possible but you know it's good news for both of you guys new hampshire doesn't have sales tax so even if this thing is introduced it's not adding a national sales tax, which is the only good thing about this. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, it would in that case uh, we wouldn't have to pay it because we happen to be the, the, what one state that doesn't have. However, a sales tax? I mean, a lot of the costs of complying with these things that are added onto businesses are passed on to all the consumers. Okay, it, it's sure. definitely going to shut down some of the smaller companies. Yeah. And I, I read the bill. There is an exemption for companies that do less than five hundred thousand dollars worth of online sales. But say there's a company that does five hundred thousand and one dollars. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Then well, they have the added cost of compliance. So they're either just going to stop doing online sales, or completely go out of business if all they do is online sales. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so uh, well, unfortunate. I, I do like the idea that it's uh, not going after the smallest of retailers, uh, but you know that it it, it it's always difficult. I mean, five hundred thousand dollars worth of sales a year isn't that many sales, right? And it's net it's um 
it's gross, it's not gross, net. It's not net. I mean, right. you're not making $500,000. You're selling $500,000 worth of stuff and so making maybe easily, 10% on that. Yeah, exactly. You could easily have a lot of expenses That's associated one person's with salary, essentially, at $50,000. Yeah. How's one person going to be able to figure out, okay, what's the sales tax for you know this area and that place? And, and it's also just so arbitrary. You know, like for some reason, companies that do over $500,000 of business online every year should have to comply with this onerous thing. No, it doesn't. No, nobody should be subject to this. It doesn't make any sense. And and don't forget, it also includes catalog sales. Oh, wow. Daryl, that's unfortunate. Thanks for the call. Well, that's uh, Free Talk Live. Uh, you know, we're the we're we're done for the the evening, but we'll be back at 7 p.m. Eastern. You can give us a call then, but in the meantime, check out freetalklive.com, our interactive website, and you can uh, enjoy the conversation there.